Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. News team, assemble! And bigger than ever, it's the unofficial 40 from Soonerscoop.com. Now, here's the entire Soonerscoop crew, Carrie, Josh, Eddie, and Bob. All right, we are back. It is the unofficial 40 podcast from Soonerscoop.com. And uh, we're here, we're live, we're recording. We're not going to talk about anything else other than it's a time for another podcast and we got a ton to talk about. Are we recording? Uh, we are recording. All right, just make sure. Uh, <laughs> hold on, let me just tell uh, you guys. Keep, hold on. We're just making sure. Dun, 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 just want to double check and make yeah, sure that we we're good. We are recording. All right, let's we go. We are recording. Let's go. So we're here. Yesterday uh, was so good, too. It was a... No, it was. I, I got to be honest. I The podcast, because Josh was rushed... I felt like it got kind of out of order, and I wasn't real happy with it when I kind of finally went back and, and, and looked at it, but, well, I didn't look back at it because there was nothing to look back on. There was nothing to look back on. We did a ghost podcast yesterday. Uh, it's performance art. It just went out into the ether. So we're here. Uh, we are back. It's a podcast. we got a lot of stuff to talk about. Uh, recruiting stuff is, is crazy. Josh is going to sound better. I've got a technician coming, and we're going to be back tomorrow, but... Bob, Eddie, and I are back in our studio yeah, got, configuration. This is the actual studio. I feel it feels odd. It's nicer than the place I work at daily. <laughs> Tell you that. It's you should be on a Zoom. It'd be better. Uh, yes. Uh, so anyway, we are back. We're ready to go. We got a lot of stuff going on. Baker Mayfield has been freed, thank God, uh, and uh, he is now a Carolina Panther. Which I do like that. You know, and to get in, we'll get back. We'll go backwards here. The Baker Mayfield, we haven't talked since his kids' camp here. Uh, in Norman, we had the whole, you know, breaking the news about, you know, he wasn't interested in, in in being the quarterback in Cleveland this year that made national rounds. Somehow, everyone in their neighbor watches the Pat McAfee show because I heard about that like 50 times that day. And to the point that I went and started watching it. And I like Pat McAfee. I always have. I noticed he just signed a new WWE yes, deal. Yes, he did. Is he good? Like, do you like him? He's very good at what he does. It's the announcing part, not the rest, not the fact that he can wrestle. He can, I've seen that stuff. It's awesome. Yeah. No, he brings the passion with SmackDown. So he deserves the multi-year yes, contract. Yes, he does. Yes. So, uh, you know, that whole thing blows up. And I guess Josina Anderson and I are mortal enemies now, uh, which... She kept floating out the Seattle thing. And and I'll be honest, like, inside baseball, like, Eddie was there as well. And we talked to Baker's people after this was over. I think now that all the dust has settled, we can talk about it. Uh, but, like, Baker's people were like, look, I don't know. Like, Josina Anderson keeps throwing the Seattle stuff out there. Cleveland and Seattle have never had any It doesn't deals. seem like that was very ever no. advanced talks at all. No, not she, at all. She went she, after Rappaport when he said that that wasn't legit right. either. And the, she's a she's a Nodell Beckham person though, right? Right. That's yes. like the kind of the gist Which, of that whole thing. Like you cannot escape what's happened there in the world of Baker Mayfield and Odell Odell Beckham because it's like 
you do see, like, this is the thing. Like, we kind of got just a small glimpse of what the life of reporting in the NFL was like. Uh, and I didn't realize that there are, like, literally, you have to pick a side. You're an Odell person or you're a Baker person. And it's like, if you're an Odell person, you have to talk about how terrible the locker room was in Cleveland because of Baker. Right. Whereas if you're Baker, you know, you're just kind of, like, you're befuddled. And, and like, how this became a thing, like, where sides were divvied up and you have to be on one and Josina Anderson is on one side. It seems like Ian Rappaport is on another. And I mean, your brother-in-law is in the middle of all this. Yes, I don't know is. if you guys have had We got to go save him. We got to go save Jake. I refuse to talk to him about Baker. I know he's so sick of it. <laughs> I, I can imagine. Well, I, and, or I can't even imagine. And it was actually your brother-in-law um, that kind of opened everybody's eyes to it. He came on our radio show and he basically said, this is over $3 million. Like, the Browns just don't want to pay $3 million uh, to get rid of him. And Carolina wants him. And those are the two, like, that's that's when I knew, like, the deal is happening there. And Jake had said, like, he jokingly said, can he offer $20 to a GoFundMe to pay for Baker to get him out of town so he could stop dealing with this? Because it's just, like, the only thing that I can compare it to is the Joe Mixon thing that we all went through. It's just nonstop, and it's fans against fans, against media, against... You know, players, it's just so ugly, and it's every day, and it's just like you get so sick of it after about a week, but then you it just to be keeps over. going and it going for two months, months three yeah. months. <laughs> yeah, and it's not I mean, going to get any better. The stuff was for years. It's yeah. not going to get any better for Cleveland, too, because they play each other in the first week of the season. Yeah, that's amazing. Mm-hmm. So that's, I mean, it's just going to go all the way through week one for them. But I mean, every season is going to be awful. It's gonna can be we terrible. talk about how lucky Bob and Jake are to have each other? Like, to have that one person, like, at the Christmas or Thanksgiving stuff, that's like, man, I know. Like, yep. I'm not going to ask you a thing about this because I know. I've been there, too. Like, because we know how it is. Eddie, you walk into your house, like, you know, perfect example, Carrie brought the Joe Mixon thing. Like, you could not escape that conversation for a while. Like, no. it didn't matter how annoyed someone knew you were with talking about. Like, your best friends were like, so what can you tell me, man? I, dude, I don't want to. I don't. I don't want to do this. I'm so tired of this conversation. I would just. I would just say something to the effect of, "Yeah, I think the video was doctored, but this is why we should have abortions in the country," and just completely change the subject. <laughs> so, but no, it was. I mean, I th- the thing I took from it was it was good to see Baker. No, it was good. It was great to see Baker, and it was it was kind of funny too because I think that we all kind of wondered like, what's he gonna. Is he going to say anything? Because the first time that he came around for the uh, the spring thing when they did the statue was basically he'll do interviews, but let's maybe not go all the way in on Cleveland because we just didn't know what the, the situation was going to be. And we were and all kind of waiting for that, hey, this is off limits. Right. Let's not talk right. about mm-hmm. And it never came. This, this time around, awesome. it was like, I think they wanted to get that out there because I think they were pretty frustrated with the situation that he was in and they just wanted to get it out in the open and so finally they did and it was kind of funny too like i didn't think about it at the time on monday when the uh, trade went down but uh it was their anniversary him and emily's and she put something in like the caption about wouldn't trade you for anything so they knew that it was coming (laughs) and you know a couple hours later he gets traded so carolina will be interesting though i Oh, like, I'm gonna not going to sit great. here and say that I think they're going to win the NFC South or anything like that. But McCaffrey got to stay healthy. Yeah, if if that happens, I mean, he doesn't have great talent. But like, I was watching NFL, I watch NFL Live almost every day, uh, and Dan Orlovsky has been Baker's biggest supporter. 
Yep. Yeah. I would say that. Right he's definitely their his Stan number one stand. That, you know, they will be a playoff team with Baker, but at the same time, it's like Baker can no longer and and he's right. Like Baker had a great situation in Cleveland. They had you know Nick Chubb. Uh, they had a great running game. Uh, you know, he, they could do the play action stuff. Like Baker's got to do. You know, he's got to succeed with with a different talent set in in Carolina. He's got to prove that he can do that, and I think he will. I mean, I you know, is if he's got receivers that are running the right routes in the place they're supposed to be in, he'll succeed. Yeah, I think DJ Moore could be a really good one, right? Yeah, like I, I don't. I'm not going to sit here and say that I think that. Carolina's going to have the best offense in the league, but they should be at least, I don't know, sorry, Bob, but like better than what the Bears were last year. <laughs> it's not saying much. No, no, it's not. And it's not, not saying much going into this year either. Bob's just beaten up. about. I mean, you can't beat him down any further than he already is. <laughs> Team's terrible. Uh, so, yeah. Guys, the, do, do you understand it all? Like, there's a conversation happening. Like, there is a legit competition that is going to happen between Baker Mayfield and Sam Donald. On what planet are those – like, you can be down on Baker Mayfield. That's fine. But to compare the track record of those two right now is insanity. Uh, Tim right. Darnold is a career one-to-one touchdown-to-interception guy. Like, it, it, it's just it, – the narrative – like, it's there are OU fans that go too far with what Baker Mayfield is. And then I feel like damn near everybody else is too far in the opposite direction. Like – Baker Mayfield's garbage. No, he's not an all pro, but he can be a really good NFL quarterback. Sam Darnold has never at any point shown any sign of being even a functional NFL quarterback. The problem with Baker is like when he came back for his statue unveiling, it's like when you watch ESPN and they talk about Baker, they show every bad throw that he's had, you know, over the last two years. They don't show the good stuff. And you forget that Baker's actually a good quarterback. Like when they started showing the highlights, uh, during his uh, statue ceremony, I myself was like, holy shit, Baker was really good. Like, I almost forgot how good Baker was as a quarterback. Yeah, well, he, he needs to be healthy, good. too. I mean, yeah. I, I think last year was very obvious that there were some things that were kind of restraining his play. The, I mean, the, 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 that's the thing. Baker's Baker is a football player through all this talk, leading, you know, every... You know, embrace debate program out there for six months now. His legacy has been twisted. Well, it's it's just funny how everything you know it, how the narrative would be different if he wouldn't have played through injury last yeah. year. It would be yeah. Why, why been, won't he put it on the line? Why wouldn't he's playing? He's looking out for himself because he wants a contract. He doesn't want to hurt himself. And it's just funny how that changes if he would have not played. It's almost like he became immature for battling and toughing, you know, toughing it out versus doing the smart thing, which was to sit out, rehab, have the sure. surgery. That's all narrative. Not hurt himself. It's it's ridiculous. Needless to say, he needs to play better when he, when he, when he gets to uh, Carolina. And I, I mean, think there's, he will. There's no doubt about that. I think he will when he's healthy. All right. Uh, outside of that, we've had a little bit of a bombshell with USC and UCLA and the Big Ten uh, realignment. And my whole thing on this was when I heard it, I was like, God, I hope Lincoln Riley was as blindsided by that as I was. That was our our first thought. Did Lincoln know? No way. No way in hell. You don't think there's any way uh, USC told him? I mean, I guess to get him to come there, they wouldn't want to tell him. Like, if he was willing to leave, they had to know, you know, getting away from the SEC 
was part of that. So I had to think in those offices, in those athletic department offices, they were like, do not tell Lincoln Riley we're going to the Big Ten. You'll scare him away. For the, the Crimson Corner people that listen to the pod, there was absolutely, between Mike Bond and Lincoln Riley, there was a so post somewhere, and they're like, hey, so now i got to sit down and tell you this shit, Lincoln. Let me uh, let me get you a pillow. Let's, let's just make this as comfortable as it can be, because this is going to be bad. Because, I mean, so for this to even have started, the wheels had to have been turning last fall, last winter. And for it to go, there, there's no way they're going to, even, you know, like if, if you believe, as we all do, that Lincoln Riley was talking to USC for much longer than he let on, then USC's not going to have the confidence to be like, hey, we got something cooking here with the Big Ten. Because if, he's, if they're wrong and they don't get their guy, he knows a huge college football secret about that he has no business knowing. Like, there's no reason to do that and possibly start a chain reaction in the SEC. So, uh, there's no way they could have told him before he had signed everything. And, uh, you know, even then, there's still so many, you know, because when the, when the story came out, the Big Ten hadn't even approved it yet. Like, so, there were still so many things, you know, hoops they had to jump through. I don't know how they could justify telling him until what, maybe at best a month ago. I don't know. I just, because what was the story out there that Wilner put out? Basically UCLA and USC had gone to the big 10, big 10 kind of came back on him and said, we don't think right now is the time. And then they wanted to renegotiate or reengage here over what, like the beginning of January, basically he would have been on the job for a month, basically. All right, fuck me. In <laughs> I was I turned my mic off. I'm sorry. No, I mean, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's to to know that you're recruiting and all this stuff. I mean, like if you're going to the Big Ten, like you, I mean, it's I, I don't know. After he's hired, do they go to him and, and say, hey, there's this, there's oh, by a the possibility way. here? Oh, by the way, <laughs> you're gonna be playing conference games three thousand miles away from here, which isn't gonna happen every year. So I think that like the mileage between the two programs. Uh, almost as like an old talking point. It's kind of like you were talking about this morning, Josh, about how NIL is just part of college football. Like traveling is part of college sports nowadays. Now it is going to be weird for like a baseball team to have to go play a Sunday game in well, that's, I mean, right. Scataway, you know, New Jersey. You know Lincoln hates that part of it. If they have to go play Penn State one weekend, it's going to happen at some point. You're going to have back-to-back road games. Yeah. Uh, I mean, he couldn't control 11 a.m. games. I mean, you're going to if you have a big conference matchup, I mean – and these things are made so far ahead in advance. Like if they have to go, I mean, like Notre Dame has been a part of their schedule forever. So if they have to play Penn state one week and then Notre Dame the next, and then they have to come back and play at home. I mean, how many opportunities for letdowns? Like we, West Virginia is the best example. Like how many yeah, games the one. have mm-hmm. we seen that West Virginia be a really good team? And then they just inexplicably lose some game that you don't see them lose it. God, is that because of travel or is that because they're just West Virginia? Maybe a little bit of both. I would say this. I yeah. think West Virginia is is a better program and had better athletes. I mean, think about all those those defensive backs they sure. had that transferred Maybe out. under uh, Holgerson, I think the jury's still kind of out there on Neil Brown. I don't know. I thought that they maybe were going to make a little bit bigger jump than they did last year, although they did lose a lot. I, I don't know. I guess it'll be kind of interesting to see what they do with JT Daniels this year. It's kind of what makes Somebody the Big 12 so interesting. 
a, a great point with Neil Brown. All that dude it was known for is being an offensive guy. I mean, that's when he got his start. That's that every place he's been, it was all oh, he was a great OC. But almost every place he's been wins with defense. Now it can't be coincidence. He's clearly hiring good defensive coordinators. But it's really we. It would be like Lincoln Riley jumping around and. All he does is win 17-14 games or loses, you know, 28-20 to 20 kind of stuff. Like, West Virginia has been formidable on defense for a while now, but they, for a guy that's supposed to be an offensive mind, they can't get anything going on that side of the ball. Those early, those early years with Geno Smith, that was, the, that was the winning, you know, shootout, West Virginia. Yes. Like, we thought that was going to be them – Moving forward forever, yeah, and then they just got really good on defense. He well, wasn't was was Gino all Dana, or was he still even a little bit under uh, what's his name, Bill uh, Stewart? I think he was there when yeah. Dana took over. Okay, he was his okay. first quarterback, I think. But what, who was it? Uh, Tony uh, was it Little? Who was their defensive coordinator? Smith Gibson? 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 Tony Gibson. Gibson. You're right. Yeah, yeah. That was the guy that really made them good defensively. I mean, to the point I remember OU fans bringing up his name. Well, I believe, isn't he at NC State now? And they've got one of the best defenses in the country. Yeah, he's he good. I, if that's yeah. where he is, I mean, he's he's really good, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. Well, let me ask you this. Okay, so we got to throw this out there. All this stuff happened in realignment. I mean, the, the real question is, how does this affect OU? Eddie, you've been asking this question for a couple of days. I think it's a good question. You bring in all these other teams, these four teams especially, uh, but the fact that the... You know, you're gonna to have to want to do your, re, your redo your rights, but it's yep. it's not up till 2025. But the Pac-12 is up in 2024. If they want to go up and get Washington and in Oregon, uh, and then Arizona, Arizona State, Utah, whoever else, like if they really want to raid the Pac-12, which is what they should do, those are teams without television contracts. So if they work with Fox and ESPN to build this new conference, does that create a way for Oklahoma to get out in 2024? And I think that's absolutely a great point. Yeah, it has to be. Uh, or at least I think it would be. I just don't know how that how that would work. Like Brandon Marcello threw it out there on Twitter. I think it was uh, on Monday or Tuesday, right after all this stuff kind of went down as far as would the Big 12 try to start negotiating with those Pac-12 teams to work some type of Big 12 network. And like I, there's two sides of it. If they do that, you would have to think that OU and Texas be able to get out of the grand rights early. And the other side of that is, I don't think that ESPN would want that to happen, and maybe that's why you're seeing them talking about a merger between Pac-12 or an agreement between the Pac-12 and the ACC because that keeps everything within the ESPN umbrella, and then they can kind of stick it to the fo- they can kind of stick it to Fox basically. So I don't know what the like I don't know how that works. I asked the question, nobody really had an answer if that would basically reset everything. So I have no idea. But I, I do think that that's going to be kind of interesting to watch here of the next, uh, you know, the next phase of realignment as the Big 12 kind of decides what they want to do if they're going to try to go get some of these Pac-12 teams. And then you have Oregon and Washington kind of waiting all, like on the outside of the uh, the town to see what Notre Dame's going to do because I think Big 10 wants to get Notre Dame, obviously. They're the key. I mean, right. like if the Big 12 could somehow convince Notre Dame to join them just in, even just in football that gives you that opens a door to start 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 talking to Amazon to Apple Plus uh to Peacock I mean that opens so many doors for you like that should be 
I would think the new commissioner of the Big 12, and by the way, officially doesn't start to August 1st, but you know he's the one on all these calls. He's got to be. Uh, but that would be a nice feather in your cap to really go out and get some ridiculous you know, $2 billion media streaming rights deal where we know they're willing to throw the money out there. And, and that's what this how is. How much is that going to be? I mean, that's what billions is, of dollars? Yeah, that's what this is all about. I mean, people are no longer building television networks. It's not, no. uh, you know, uh, carriage rights and all that stuff. That's that's history. Well, was it mm-hmm. Apple that after the, uh, the Big Ten stuff went down, they're like, now, wait a second. Wait maybe, a maybe we want to come back to the negotiation <laughs> table. We didn't know about USC and uh, UCLA yeah. and this whole thing. And you got to know, I mean, it, it, it's just something that you, it's, it's a white whale that you're chasing. And yep. it's. It might not be sustainable. It doesn't matter. Well, because nobody knows what the future is going to look like. Yeah. Nobody can predict what the future is going to look like in terms of what television contracts are going to be. And Amazon with the NFL and their investment there, Apple sure. Plus with Major League Baseball, like everybody right now, the Big Twelve could not be in a bed. Yeah, we don't really care about the Big Twelve. I mean, I don't want to see them fall apart. I mean, I guess just because growing up with it, like teams you followed, um, I want to see it thrive. I want to see it become the number three conference, but. There's a real opportunity there. Now, how that re- relates to OU is if you can do that and close that deal, then it just lets OU get out of there. And we heard yesterday about, what, North Carolina, Florida State, Clemson, Virginia looking yeah. to go SEC. Yeah. I just know the Virginia thing, like, I that one's that doesn't make any sense to me. <laughs> I don't think that they would leave Miami out of that. Like, if you're looking at ACC teams, why wouldn't you take Miami? Yeah. That's too big of a brand not to yep. uh, Especially with Cristobal there, there and all the I, money that Ruiz is As the around. day went on, we kind of talked about it during the uh, the first day. Are we still recording? <laughs> yes. Okay, just making sure. <laughs> if it, it just doesn't seem like that made a lot of sense. It kind of like at the end of the day, it seemed like that was kind of bullshit. So I, I, I don't know. It, it doesn't seem like that is very realistic. But it is going to be interesting. And it is. It's a little bit of posturing, probably. No, I like, think it probably yeah. is. Like how if much of the stuff is being? This, it's almost like it's like a cold war. Almost. It's like we're going to move our nukes closer to your shoreline. Well, you know how we some of these really athletic directors it. work too. Like how many of these guys are just leaking things to see, like kind of test the waters mm. to see what we can get out of that. Yep. Absolutely. Well, I think the thing is it. It can't hurt OU's chances of getting out of the big the the Big Twelve. Oh, I think the the more teams that are added to the Big Twelve, yep, that's more quickly that you're going to accelerate things for OU and Texas getting out of here. Because you know, I had kind of been of the opinion over the last you know six months or whatever since this entire thing started really cooking was there's no way OU and Texas are staying in the Big Twelve until 2025. And the more that you talk to people, it seems like. You know, more that kind of seems like that's going to be the case that they're going to at least have to spend at least two more years in this thing. Now that could be completely different with what's happened over the last week, but I don't know. It, like I don't think anybody knows, and I don't even know if you know Joe C and Cristel Conte and everybody that is associated with the move knows. The funniest thing to me about everything, Greg Sankey definitely didn't tell me up in Omaha. This is the last point I, I think I want to make on this is. Like, just the Pac-12 trying to stay together is the most laughable thing. It's like, well, Oregon wants to wait on the Big Ten, but the Big Ten doesn't want to make any moves, so they might just stay pat in the Pac-12. In the Pac-12. I'm just like, for what? It is kind There's of funny. left. It is kind of funny, too, like how, like how big the, like, they were villains, OU and Texas were, when they left the Big 12. Like, how dare you guys go do this? And then UCLA and USC basically cop to, yeah, we didn't tell anybody. 
We just called him up one day. We're like, yeah, we're leaving. We did the same thing OU in Texas did. And we're doing it quicker. <laughs> yeah. It's just funny how but that it's, was viewed it's, it's, differently. It's not a negative, though, because it's just when their rights are up. I mean, their rights sure. are up in 24. Sure. Big 12s are up in 25. No, that makes sense. That's the difference. So it's not how? a negative to OU. Have people talked enough about how Klyavkov and the Pac-12 let their grant of rights get that close with all that's happening? Yeah. Like, how do you yeah. let it be there and be that available? Like, I mean, USC could probably, if they wanted to, and it's so short, there's no reason to, but they could probably buy their way out of it as poor as that contract was to begin with. Well, I, mean, I think I think with their TV... Crazy. Their TV deal made it complicated. Like, remember, there's a reason that Bob Bowlesby went after ESPN because the Big 12 was trying to be proactive and and renew years out, and ESPN just said, oh, let's wait a while. Because he, I mean, Bowlesby's contention was the reason they were stalling is because they wanted to steal OU in Texas for the SEC. And yeah. that's why he went after him. And it did make sense. I mean, it did at the time. All right. Uh, by the way, we want to... We wanna, I know on the board, uh, I can't tell you how much I've appreciated this part of the board recently. Maybe not what happened yesterday uh, when we screwed up the pod and then told everybody about it. Uh, but primeshrimp.com, uh, a new sponsor for the pod, new sponsor uh, on the website. Uh, primeshrimp.com is a, uh, a company based out of New Orleans. Um, I don't know if they want to say New Orleans. We haven't had the discussion if they prefer New Orleans or New Orleans. Um, but Prime Shrimp, P-R-I-M-E, shrimp.com. Uh, it's really easy. And Josh and I have both uh, had their shrimp. But what they do uh, is they send you a frozen pouch. You just drop it in boiling water. And you got a meal that's ready in under 10 minutes. Restaurant quality. And they've got all these different spices uh, and, and creations to choose from. There's the French uh, Quarter Alfredo. Uh, which I, Josh and I both had just fantastic. They have their signature New Orleans. They have their Louisiana shrimp boil. Uh, and they've even got just plain uh, shrimp as well. And uh, there's one other. What What am I forgetting, Josh? Um, uh, there was... Um, there is oh, the garlic, one, gar- the herb, was. The yeah. garlic herb. The garlic herb, which, you know, great. Yes. With, so, I, that's the one that you had, Josh, wasn't it? No, no, I had the Alfredo. Oh, you had the Alfredo, okay. Very legit. And, you know, and like I said, in the pod lost the time. It, guys, I mean, I live five minutes from, you know, live shrimp. Like, I, I could go get it at any time. And I really expected to be, like, I was like, ah, we'll see. We'll see how fresh it is. It's great, man. I mean, especially, you know, you're ta- and I've read some reviews. Like, you're talking about places like in landlocked state, stuff like that. That is a really good way to get an easy, you know, seafood uh, dinner that's that's really outstanding. I, I never thought I would be be selling shrimp on the pod, but man, I love it. Like it, it's a really easy concept, and, and the shrimp is absolutely outstanding. And we've had a lot of great response uh, from people on the message board. We've had it up for a couple of days, uh, and the response has been great because right now, this first week, for a limited time only, you can use the code Sooner Scoop uh, at PrimeShrimp.com, and it'll get. 50% off your first order. Uh, it's a money-back guarantee. If you don't love it, you can get your money back. Uh, but you can buy up to eight different varieties uh, and get 50% off. So go check it out, primeshrimp.com. Uh, we we can't speak highly enough. It's a great product. We're proud to uh, offer it on our site. And this is the deal. I know we, we've, we're we way over 100 orders at this point. 
but we want to uh, we want to encourage you guys to go sign up and, and buy uh, from PrimeShrimp.com because we're competing against Orange Bloods. They did this uh, over there. They had over 300 orders. I told them that we would we would outpace them. So uh, let's do it. Let's it's it's a little it's not a Jello shot challenge, Eddie, uh, but it's a shrimp challenge. So. Uh, go. Well, if, it, if, if the Jello shot challenge was any indication, it's not going to go well for Oklahoma fans. I, I have a little bit more faith in the. Did they uh, beat Texas though? Oh yeah, they yeah. Texas. Texas was there for like two days. We're Texas not going against gone. Ole Miss. Oh, you was there for twelve days, thirteen days. So go to PrimeShrimp.com, use that code SoonerScoop, and get that fifty percent off. All right, uh, you know a lot of stuff going on. The uh, by the way, the LED lights every morning. I I get up here to do the show. And uh, I see they're working on the stadium lights. I know this is kind of one of those things, too. Like, everybody expected, like, oh, they're going to put lights all around the stadium. It's just a retrofit right now. Like, when they get to the the west side, that's when all the lighting will change. But they're just putting LED bulbs in place of what they already had. So, I know on the board it's a contentious thing right now. People are like, oh, it's it. That sucks. Well, that should be good. That'll just be something else for somebody to bitch about. So a lot of people that need football right now. It's it's that time of year. We well, are July next 7th. week, Dead July eighth, in the middle. <laughs> July eighth. We got Big Twelve media days coming up. That we should that should whet yep. the appetite a little bit for some people. The the gripiness is in a. It's we're in full off season mode right now on the board. So yes, everything is is being cussed and discussed. Even LED lighting. Uh, but yeah, we can see that from here. It looks like they're making pretty good progress. I will say, I mean, hopefully that means they can show different colors and do some cool stuff even though it's just the same old, you know, stanchions and all that stuff. But that is going on as well. Uh, and next week, Big 12 Media Days, um, we'll all three of us will be up there, Bob, Eddie, and, and I, and uh, be a chance. The players that are going to show up, again, Dylan Gabriel. Um, I knew this better yesterday. Ethan Downs. Ethan Downs. Woody Washington. Woody Washington and uh, Mims. Marvin Mims. Marvin Mims. Which are all really good guys, I think, to talk to. Oh, I mean, they're going to be great. I, it is going to be kind of interesting. And I think, Bob, you were saying it's the first time since 2017 OU is going to take it a quarterback down to yep. Arlington. I, You know, if nothing else, I think just the weirdness of OU and Texas being on the way out and kind of like looking in at the Big 12 and kind of for the first time in a long time being – I don't know. It's just going to be weird. I think it's going to be a very strange happening. Even though I, they're I, not I don't going know what, what the mood's going to be. Is it going to be yeah. like eight, yeah, if you're eight versus two? Like let's. We yeah. don't, if you're wondering, we BYU, Cincinnati, all the, the UCF, they're not coming. Like they're not, it's, they're still not in the conference no. yet. So it is it is going to be weird just from an aspect too of it's Brent Venables. It's kind of like the first real press conference. I think like during the spring we. We talked about this a little bit yesterday, but it's like it was just awkward or not awkward. It was just kind of still taking some getting to used to as far as, you know, Brent being the head guy around here. And I think that that's going to be a little bit interesting just to see how, uh, you know, that is, I don't know, coordinated or handled uh, up on like the, the main stage. Coming now to the main stage. It's a lot earlier this year. Misty. What is? Venables, we're going to attend. Oh, he's just saying July, oh, yeah, July 10.50. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah, but it's still No, going to 10.30 instead of 12. Haven't they been on the first day in a couple years? Yeah. So they're gonna, you have to wait until Thursday next week, yep. but that's no big deal. 
It should be good, though. I'm excited. Be good catching up just about, you know, off-season stuff. And no, let's be honest. And, it's a complete waste of time. I mean, it's it's a complete waste It's a of lot time. of schmitty talk. There's no doubt about that. Because you've seen it from all the guys on social media. I so don't know. Maybe they'll now, surprise us. Now you'd have four guys that could actually speak speak on it. I mean, the, the only time that a coach has ever been honest was when Charlie Weiss was basically like, yeah, my team's a piece of shit. <laughs> really and that was that. awesome. Like, yeah. I, I appreciated that. Nobody's ever gone into a, a Big 12 media day and said, yeah, we had a terrible offseason, though. Too bad Gary Patterson won't be there as a head coach or even as an assistant or a special assistant or whatever he is at Texas. That would have been funny if uh, Sark would have sent him to Just go handle it. all the Texas uh, like media responsibilities because Sark is like awesome. too hungover or something. He would have just shown up with his acoustic and played for everybody, probably. That would have been awesome. They should do that. He should he have should, a lot more sales. He should be the uh, he Texas. should be the intro for uh, Bob Bowlesby's final address. That's going to be so weird. Take step back. Well, luckily, I don't think I'll be there for that, so I'll get the cliff notes. Yeah, because he'll go first day. Yeah, I think he's like at. 8.30, 9 o'clock in the morning. We're not day. wasting our time on people that we're not even going to associate with in a couple of years. Who was, uh, who was the uh, the referee guy that would always come in and waste everybody's time? Walt, Walt Anderson. Anderson. Walt yeah. Anderson. Now it's a new guy. Yeah, that's... Now, you talk about no, Walt Anderson. I mean, Walt Anderson was part of one of the greatest Big 12 moments in history when the inside Texas guy came after him about that penalty against OSU yeah. that one year. Yeah, that was pretty good. The egregious, and uh, <laughs> I want to know how many you determined, or he... he plotted out how many penalties there were and he termed like 23 of them egregious egregious such it's just so much and it's also that's where we learn about horns down being a penalty that's right that's right (laughs) not that same year but that's that's, same idea that's where where we learn it they like that 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 whole thing is just such a shit show every year it's always texas too what like causing problems down there with the referees and things with Walt Anderson. Don't win football games. you got to be able to do but something. But no, you'll you go there. Create headlines. And I think that's usually the second day. Like, that's the morning thing after yes. Bowlesby. Yep. So, we'll find out some stupid penalty that they're going to call or some some way of tackling that's going something to be wrong. Something about targeting. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. To, to get everybody all upset. There was the one year when they limited, you know, hitting in practice that everybody went nuts about. And it came to find out, like... Actually, come to find out they don't even hit it. Come to find, out, practices over come the last to find five years. out like the NFL hits less than college does. Like it was like such a non-story that blew up. Yeah, it's there's it's always a something lot. every year. Well, it's a lot. It, I mean, it just is very I'm, unneeded. I'm hoping to talk to Bob Ballou. It's Very unneeded on July 15th or 16th, whatever it is. We need to find out who besides Bob Ballou voted Texas number one. Uh, I thought he had them fourth. Who voted Iowa State? No, Bob State? Lou admitted, like, that was part of his newscast last night. Oh, it was? Uh, he admitted, he said, what kind of idiots vote Texas number one? He said, well, this one. I did. And then he gave a bunch of reasons why he did. Okay, well. Bob, you, you like Bob. You I, and Bob I know, friends. I know, and I'm going to give him shit about that. Well, that's why I, th- I want to talk. We need to get him on camera. That's, I mean... But I want to find out who the other one is, too. Like, Bob Ballou is like, he's a lovable Homer guy. He, he, he doesn't make any bones well, about it. He's in Austin. No, the, the, he's a the, TV guy. The story here is, is why is he voting in the Big 12 media preseason poll? That's, Anybody can. That's, I, I mean, that's what I'm saying. We talked about that the other day. It's that's like, what I'm saying. I you deleted sh- it. <laughs> you, should not be taking, you should not be taken seriously if you're participating in that. Like, your own hubris makes you ineligible, thinking that you 
are able to determine who is going to win the conference. The the response when you say, here's how I voted in the preseason Big 12 poll should be, who gives a fuck? No, I mean, what it should be is, hold on, I don't have this, everything's not hooked up yet, 10.57. Okay, um, I'll write that down. My life shit. Uh, no, I, I mean, the whole thing about it is like, if you're going to do that, you have to admit that you did it. Like, if you vote Iowa State number one. Whoever that was. Yeah, whoever that one was, person. If I'm your boss, I'm saying, you shout to the world that you've, uh, everyone is going to know why you voted Iowa State number one or Texas number one. Like, that's a story. It is a, it's fabricated. It could be fake. Like, if I'm doing it, I, I never vote on these things. Like you said, I don't. I think it's stupid. Like, why does anybody care what I who I think is going to win the Big 12? It, it's just, I, I don't think that highly of myself. Uh, neither do a lot of people. But the thing about it is, is like, if I'm going to vote, I'm do, I'm I'm tearing shit up. I'm, I'm making a spectacle of it. I'm, I'm putting like Baylor ninth or something. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm just. Oh, it's like the guy today from uh, 365 that said that he voted Oklahoma six. It's like. And there's All the right, only man, rational like, conclusion for him. That's fine. I, I just don't really care what you think. Like, I, I don't know if I care what anybody really thinks about where they have the Big 12 preseason poll on July 7th. Well, and this is... This With is votes just, that had to be in it, like, at the beginning of July. Like This is just flat truth, and I, I'm not ashamed to say it. Like, if your job is running a subscription site for fans of a team, you shouldn't have a fucking vote. That, but the problem is there are very few media industries out there. Like we're one of the most successful media industries, but like newspaper people, they're probably about the only ones that really should be voting, but there aren't very many newspaper people anymore. And the ones that are out there, they're so old. I, I will let Thumper speak for me on this one. If you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. <laughs> I want it to be said that for all the Josh hates OU crowd out there, if I had a vote, there would absolutely no. Even Michael Turk wouldn't have made the list. So I, I am, I am good there. I will, you know, for the brand, I will make sure that there is no OU inclusion on my list. Just, just for uh, like ethics. Uh, like you can't no, vote for no, people just from the team. Upset everybody as much as humanly possible. Oh, okay, I got you. Yeah, yeah. But that's, that's the thing. Uh, it's like, and, and, and this was part of the pod that we cut out yesterday, but I don't really have a problem with Marvin Mims not being on there because, you know, I, the way that the offense worked last year, they didn't throw the ball deep. They couldn't so, solve zone coverages. And he didn't have great numbers for all Big 12. Now, I think he's one of the best receivers in the Big 12. You'd be an idiot to say he's not. He didn't score his first touchdown until Texas. Yeah. Insane. It's amazing. That it's, was it's, his really only big game, like from a... a just a big play stand. The most amazing part about all of this is, is, you know, with Riley leaving, this whole conversation would have been completely different over the last six months. It would have been, what happened to the offense last year? Like, what happened to uh, everything around the offense as far as, you know, what Caleb Williams would have been this year, going into this year? You know, Rattler obviously would have transferred, but you're probably talking about an Oklahoma offense that would not even have Marvin Mims. Or Theo Weiss. Or Theo Weiss, because they probably would have transferred out of is the program. Is it a foregone conclusion that Caleb Williams would have been first-team quarterback and Big 12 offensive preseason player? If he, oh, if he was still here? Yeah. yeah, like I think so. Yeah, I mean, I think that there he would have garnered a couple more votes than Spencer Sanders, yes. I 
Guys, it says so much of where the Big 12 is right now offensively that Spencer Sanders is the quarterback. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And is it because you oh. just – like? But the kid from Baylor is really good. Yeah, but he threw 58 passes last I know, year. But he won a Big 12 championship and a bowl game. Would you rather have Blake Shapin or uh, Dylan uh, Gabriel? Because I, I do think it's still like almost like we've kind of. You've seen more of Gabriel, yeah. In a way, have it, it's just amazing to me that like everything Oklahoma went through with the Riley departure and the Caleb Williams departure, and then when the dust settled, you still ended up with what I think a lot of people believe is a great offensive coordinator in Jeff Levy and a quarterback in Dylan Gabriel that not only has played, but played a ton of football throwing for over 8,000 yards and 70 touchdowns. Like it's, it's still insane to me. I think that like, I don't know, Oklahoma fans just almost feel like it's expected that it's like, yeah, I mean, that's what Oklahoma should have out there. Like I, I tweeted something similar to like, it's still amazing to me that Oklahoma ended up with Dylan Gabriel and somebody was like, well, I mean, when the transfer pool started, you kind of feared that, OU was going to get a great quarterback. It's like, I know that, but at the same time, it's like, how did they how they end up in such good healthy shape after everything that happened? Well, you're uh, you're one of the few that's recognizing that because the national media doesn't. That's what I'm saying. Like I, I I feel like I'm kind of like banging my head into a wall a little bit that it's unbelievable that this is what Oklahoma was quote unquote left with when a lot of teams around the country would kill for that type of experience at quarterback, kill for that type yeah, of offensive coordinator yeah. to come in basically kind of pick up where the other guy left off or maybe even more so left off, you know, in the third week of the season last year. No, I agree. And the, 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 you know, you talk about skill position talent. I mean, they lost Jaden Hazelwood. They lost Mario Williams. Like those are not insignificant, but guys, the thing that I, and I didn't even realize that I was going through and I was looking at something, I think for board chat this week, I was trying to kind of formulate an answer to a question. And, Oklahoma finished number three in the SP plus for offense, which balances out, you know, like competition level, all that sort of stuff, like really tries to take an honest balanced look from, you know, UCF to Oklahoma, whoever they're playing, like try to level the field as much as possible. They were the number three offense in college football last year. And I know they lost pieces, like they lost some big pieces, but the, like the offensive line returns and adds depth, adds talent. The and I, I think we all agree that should be an improved group, if for nothing else, in the change of what they're going to be doing this summer, like how, how different that looks under Jerry Schmidt um, and, and the previous regime. And then you throw in, you know, the the additions of guys like Javante Barnes and the receiver that no one nationally and I, and I get it, I get why they don't know it um, because everybody focused so much on Caleb Williams the Alamo Bowl, everybody kind of forgets how good Jalil Farouk was that night. And people, yeah, like, he's got a chance to be, like, if there's a guy in that receiver room that I think could be a star, he, I mean, and I, I mean that this year because I, I'm actually working on the scoop right now and there is some buzz right now and some young receivers. But Farouk is the guy that, if, if you told me at the end of the year he broke out and had – 60 catches for, you know, maybe close to a thousand yards. I would not be shocked at all. Well, and what I find interesting too is not NFL guys that left, but guys that left Oklahoma. Like who else would be other than Caleb Williams? Who else would be first team all big 12? 
Not Mario, Mario Williams. Pro- well, no, not Mario not Williams. Williams. You're right. And that's part of it, too, with the Mims thing. Look at that receiver group. Well, and Those here's the thing, too, Josh. possible first-round picks. Those the, are guys. The thing is, if Lincoln Riley stays, they probably lose Marvin Mims and Theo Weiss. But they'll right. keep Mario Williams. So, like, two there was... One. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's it's really <laughs> bizarre. I mean... Two for one, and, I mean, I I think that there's also, like... I, by Bobby, the way, LB Bunkley Shelton is a guy that... What is he going to give yeah. you? Yep. Theo Weiss yeah. is a guy that, you know, it's... You know, he certainly needs to stay on the field this year. But I think that everybody knows and everybody feels like around here that if he's healthy, he's going to be a guy that can contribute to this team. Let me ask you this. Uh, I don't want to nerd out too much, but if we're in the multiverse and Lincoln Riley does stay. I I kill him. I murder him. Is there a chance? I take care of this for Oklahoma fans. I go back with a gun and. (laughs) Is there a chance that Caleb Williams left after last year, even if Lincoln Riley had stayed? Hmm. To chase no. NIL money somewhere no. else. No, because, no. well, no. No. Where would he have gone? Whoever paid him the most. Like Miami? Like yeah. wherever? Yeah. No, I don't think I think he wants so. more than Ruiz pays, though. Well, I think that's probably... That, like, look, look at some of the big NIL teams right now. We know Tennessee's deep in the market. Well, they've got their young quarterback. They wouldn't have wanted Caleb to come sure. and scare Nico off. Miami, they've got Van Dyke. He's not going to, they weren't going to be in that market. A&M's got Wigman and a bunch of other young, like, and I'm not saying Caleb's not better than probably all of those guys, but you're not going to upset the apple cart for a maybe that's really, that you know is just coming in because you're paying an IL. You don't mean Van Dyke, right? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, I mean, they're, they're super pleased with, with old TVD. It would it would be interesting though just to like kind of know how things how much different things would be, but I guess that's living in the past a little bit. I it would be interesting to see what the narrative is around this team going into this year, just as far as like how disappointing twenty twenty one was. Uh, I think that there would be obviously a lot of pressure on the offense as far as you'd have no idea who they got through the through the portal. Yeah, know? like you just you don't know. It's hard to know, and especially in today's world of college football, just what this would thing Jordan would Jordan Addison like. be at OU? Yeah, like <laughs> yeah, I, no, for, for real. Like truly, would, I, would Travis would die? Would the running back from from Oregon? Oregon would, yeah. would he be at like? Yeah. who, who would have came? No, oh. I, I think that the, it would it would definitely it's an interesting conversation to be had, and I think it would also be interesting to see like where they would be nationally going into this year, just as far as, you know, I because I we, and we've talked about it before, but there's a lot of people that feel like Oklahoma's bound for, like, some type of dramatic drop-off when in reality and everything that, you know, happened in December and January around here, there's a lot of people that feel like this entire thing is a lot better positioned to be better in the next 10 years or well, the next five years. think even. about the perception on the defensive side of the ball with all oh, those sure, losses. Sure, Having Alex Grinch back... Oh man! Like what? How are you going? Who would have been, who would have been under more pressure, Riley with the offense or Grinch with the defense? Probably Grinch with it's, the defense. You're is not that... painting a pretty picture for either side. <laughs> no, and I think that's why, like people around <laughs> My here, God, they're... I just realized Oklahoma's better off with Lincoln without Lincoln Riley. I mean, and Alex Grinch. I think that there's a lot of people Holy that have been shit. saying that for a long time. But right? I didn't realize it until just now. Until we just <laughs> well, where, where, have you been? where have you been? Failing at building an office. <laughs> uh, 
Honesty. Those are the next people I'd go after with the gun. <laughs> Carrie, this podcast is also serving as an intervention. We're going to have to have a talk. Yeah. Are we still recording? Yes. Okay. We are. <laughs> sure. It. Give me, no, give me your water. I need some. Give me. You're not drinking it, so I want it. I put that out for you, but you're not taking advantage. So I'm taking. No, it. It, it would be uh, very interesting to see like what the the conversation was uh, going into this year. But you know, I think that that's what's going to be the most fun about this next month is just kind of the build up into what Brent Venables this team's going to be in a way. Like I think that you know we talked about it yesterday. How Woody Washington getting left off of the first well, we team all Big who, Twelve. Who who would you think? Will be yeah, this, on the post the yeah and Josh, season. Josh, right. you had to run because you, so you weren't around for this conversation. Yeah. I think we all three said like, Stats Woody, win. Danny, could a Jeffrey Johnson be a, a first team All Big Twelve guy? Like the most interesting thing to me is the defensive additions on the defensive side of the ball uh, through the portal are all guys that are not only going to play, but I feel like are going to play quite a bit. And that includes somebody like a TD Roof. That includes the C.J. Colston kid that we don't really know a whole lot from uh, Wyoming. But, like, that's what's most fun is a lot of the guys that they went and got into the portal are all guys that are going to contribute here early next year. You know, there are there – are, I mean, you know, you can make a case. I, I think it's absurd that Woody Washington isn't on this list. Like, you guys know – like I'm all in. Like I think Woody could end up as like a fringy All American guy this year. I think but he was just hurt. Just he was hurt last year. Have a huge year. Yeah, I mean, and I and I get that. I do, but I mean, I look at the guys chosen over him, and I'm like, uh, like Kenny Logan Jr. from Kansas. Oh, okay. I guess. I mean, it, it. You know, like I guess somebody had to fill a Kansas quota. I I, I, I don't know. It, it just that one doesn't add to me. But I, I think you guys are right. Like, you look at the linebacker group, same deal. Like, I, I think there's room there for an Oklahoma guy to make a move. The problem is on the D-line, like, you talk about Jalen Redmond. Um, I've heard really good things about the summer Jordan Kelly's having uh, and really into the spring. And I, I think, guys, when we saw him at camp, he looked like a different dude. Well, and I mentioned um, yesterday, like, David Aguebu. Like, what is Brent and his yep. staff going to be able to do with a guy like that? I, I, th- there is a part of me that feels like we're going to see David Aguebu playing some four or three defensive end and pass situations. Like a guy with that length and that's like, there's, there's just almost limitless ideas. And that's what drove me crazy about the way they used him the last few years. Like it just seemed like they're like, no, no, we're going to make him this. He can't be anything else. I'm like, he is something else. He's, he's a different type of player. Like do something with him that isn't just wasting uh, a six foot four guy that runs like a deer. Like, what are we talking about? I here? feel like, I feel uh, like they're like, we've been watching through Mike and Grinch's tenures as defensive coordinators. Each staff has kind of had a blind spot at certain positions, whether it's safety yeah. or corner or nickel, I think with, uh, you know, Mike's regime. Uh, I thought linebacker, you know, defensive end kind of was a blind spot with Grinch's regime a little bit. Um, but the thing about, like, you go back to Brent and you look at, like, you know, what he did with, like, Ronnell Lewis. Like, we all thought he was a linebacker. He turned him into something that was a very good play. Like, he was a he was a tool early in his career. Like, he was just, like, that's why he got the hammer nickname. I mean, the, the Sun Bowl. I mean, when they played. Uh, oh, Stanford. 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 Uh, Andrew Luckless Stanford. The running back, though. Toby Gerhardt. Gerhard. Toby Gerhardt, yeah. Um, like, that was a. That's what made Ron L. Lewis's name. But then he became a defensive end, uh, and he 
he was effective. Like Brent always found a way for those guys on the interior to play the positions that they were supposed to be playing when he was a you know, co-defensive coordinator. It, it's just, like I said, I was talking earlier about, you know, Spencer Sanders at quarterback. And I mean, you look at this defensive list, that D line for the big 12 is as good as a big line, big 12 defensive oh, yeah. line has been in a long time. Really the, good. I mean, Will McDonald's a dude, the kid from K state. I don't think people know him that I, I've heard Gabe talk a lot about him. He's a monster. Like that guy has a chance to be, you know, for, I mean, like just an elite, elite player, uh, Colin Oliver. We all know my love affair with him. So I think it's going to be, and I'm sorry, I got kind of off track, but that was what I was saying earlier. Like I think Jim Redmond could have a great year and still might not be able to puncture this list because there are so many good guys that I think have a little more track record than him coming in. So he's not only going to have to kind of catch up, he's almost going to have to be clearly better than they are, which I realize makes all the sense in the world. But we all know, like we were talking about earlier with the voters, it's not always who legitimately is the best. It's just who is, you know, who do I know coming in? Okay. He had a good year. Let's, let's move forward. So I, I think defensive lines where I, I think it's going to be tough. But at linebacker and defensive back, if you told me in the back seven, OU had three guys in, in the final, you know, the postseason list, I, I think I would be a buyer on that. Like, I, I think they're going to have multiple guys that are going to really play well. I think that secondary has got a chance to be outstanding. All right, I want to move into some recruiting, but first, take a time out for DeadSoxy.com. Uh, DeadSoxy.com, one of our great partners at the uh, – at, at the unofficial 40 and uh, right now they've got the promo code scoop will get you 25% off your entire order uh, that's at deadsoxy.com it's getting hot out there it's been hot out there uh, I know you're like me you're probably going through socks a lot more than usual uh, so if you're going to the office every day definitely want to go stock up on the uh, boardroom collection uh, also the Oklahoma collection just a great collection the Maker Bayfields uh, you know the 8-bit uh, Maker Bayfield's a really popular sock for them. Uh, the uh, the the schooner, uh, all the you know the retro that's come out now, and with our uh, new unofficial forty collection out there uh, coming out next week um, on the uh, on SoonerScoopStore.com. Sorry, we're mixing up ads here. Uh, you want to get those uh, retro socks? So go to DeadSoxy.com uh, and uh, just enter that promo code Scoop, and you'll get twenty five percent off. I know Eddie. Uh, you probably were wearing some no-shows when you're doing uh, Hot Nights Bingo the other night. 100%. I wear them almost every day. I've I've actually... I was thinking about this the other day. I think that I've, I've slowly but surely phased flip-flops out of my life. And maybe it's because of Dead Soxy. I don't know. I, have I don't wear flip-flops I, anymore. I have just because I broke my last I just pair. Got I've been these. too lazy to go get new Brand new, new shoes. Boom. Warm to get up to Chicago. What are those? On... That, is that a Chicago brand? No, it's just a new like running shoe brand. I can't but even see your socks. That's because I'm wearing the no the show. No show. Yeah. Boom. These are the most comfortable shoes I've ever bought. <clears throat> On. So do we think that it's a triple that advertisement is just going to take that five seconds that we just had and make a national ad? I think that's going to happen. Possibly. Possibly. Yeah. I think that that could be the uh, the case. Well, we probably need a sponsor for this next segment because uh, recruiting is taking an uptick. And, uh, you know, it, it's another one of these. I feel like we keep referring back to the pod that never happened yesterday. Um, but, I mean, Josh, I mean, just kind of take us through the, the recent commitments uh, and some news with one of the recent commitments about a change in venue. I mean, that seems to be real popular right now. 
but you've kind of told, we've, we've told people all along, be patient. Brent's going to have his time. Uh, now a lot of these kids have taken all their visits. It's time for the decisions. Uh, so kind of set us up for, you know, what's going on the rest of this month and on into the season. Yeah. I mean, you know, <laughs> the thing that I keep pointing at, I keep telling people like, it's not just July, it's August. I mean, so I think by September 1st, you're and really largely by August, but by September 1st, you're going to have a very good idea of what this class looks like. There, I mean, there's a very real possibility that OU is maybe chasing five, six, seven guys from September 1st to, you know, uh, signing day. I mean, the guys like David Hicks and Jordan Renaud and some of those guys that we know are going to wait a little longer. But I think by and large, this class is going to be done by September 1st. I, that's just the way it's trending. And, you know, we talked through April, May, June that this was going to happen. Kids were going to take all these official visits in, um, in you know, in the spring and into, into June. And then decisions were going to start happening. Well, you look over the last two weeks, Heath Ozida, the big offensive lineman from Washington, Oklahoma offers him on a Wednesday. He commits the following Monday. Uh, Samuel Omasigo, a guy that, you know, I keep I keep hearing people like, oh, he's a three-star. And I know it's more of a joke than anything. But, you know, I know, uh, I believe in 24-7, he just jumped in the top 150. I think he's due a move. It may be a deal where I have to go to a game and can actually do like a full, um, you know, positional write-up and say, hey, this is what I think, this is where he should be. But to me, the guy that sticks one, sticks two, and runs like he does at linebacker, it's real hard for that guy not to be a four-star. Like, I mean, just he has an unusually gifted skill set. Kind of reminds me of, you know, for OU fans out there, kind of a Keenan Clayton type of guy where he's not a great linebacker right now. He's a really gifted athlete. And I think when you give him time with Brent Venables, I mean, again, Clayton went on to have a nice NFL career, was a second-round draft pick, like, there's a lot Brent can do with a guy like that. Um, the other who you kind of reference is Phil Picciotti, the, the big linebacker from Pennsylvania, uh, just, you know, committed on the 4th of July, as, as Bob wrote about, keeping a trend together for Oklahoma, uh, those 4th of July commitments, and announced yesterday that he is going to move from Pennsylvania for his senior year and play at IMG Academy. I think that's big for him I because I, when I watch him, it's hard to gauge him a little bit. And I hate the competition conversation. I think that is a lazy way to evaluate a player, but there's just no denying that he plays very little guy, very, excuse me, very few guys that are going to play at a power five level. So watching him go play for IMG and they're playing the, the St. Francis's and the Don Bosco's and all these other great programs from across the country, it gives him a chance to show what he is. Cause I, so, and it, it's a boomer bust. Like he might show, okay, there were some reasons for these concerns and, you know, maybe, maybe he drops a little or he goes out and answers all the questions. And with his tape and his physicality, if he puts it together at a place like IMG, I mean, you're talking about a, you know, fringy 100 guy. I mean, cause it's just about how much you believe in the skill set against elite guys. So I, he's going to be one of the funner stories to watch for OU fans this fall. And finally, I mean, the the second most highly rated guy in this class right now committed just a couple of days ago, Jaquez Petaway, uh, the the burner from Langham Creek in uh, Cypress, Texas. Uh, just a, he's a guy I've seen live several times. I know 
you know, Eddie could speak on this a little bit. Eddie saw him at the, uh, the rivals camp in Dallas. And he was a guy that I came in and thought, Oh, this is a really good player. I came out thinking this might be the best receiver in the state of Texas. And there's plenty of good ones, obviously. So he is a 10, 400 meter. I mean, this is the DD Westbrook, Hollywood Brown and that kind of speed guys that, you know, that they're hoping to pair with Anthony Evans, who will decide ne- uh, in August. So you start adding that kind of speed outside and, you know, uh, the score from far that Jeff Levy loves to talk about, that becomes very real very fast. How uh, how big of a win was Petaway? Because he wasn't on the radar for Lincoln and previous staff. They, they had Ennis, they had Moore, they had Lemon. They, they weren't looking in his direction so how how quickly did this come together and what does that say about what kale and lubby are able to do once they get on the trail yeah you know there were some and i I never made sense of it it seemed like they were unsure whether kale could handle the job all kale has ever done is recruit like a monster like I, i don't know why anybody had questions about that but if you still do man stop like i he he's gonna do fine recruiting receivers and you know i i I think it is a sign of a big win because there wasn't this overlap you know some of these guys we can say oh you know um oklahoma was in on him long before brent venables got there and there was a relationship and he was already interested and you know the venable staff just did a good job maintaining it and that's fair and true and that's okay this isn't one of those guys like you said bob he was very interested in oklahoma and i'm trying to remember if they did offer him, but then didn't really paint. I, I don't think that's the way it, I'm trying to, because I know there was early interest and I can't remember if they went so far as to offer him and then just kind of cooled off. I can't quite remember how that played, but regardless, there was never a real push for him because like you said, they were focused on some other guys. Um, so I, I think this is a big win and it's a sign that Oklahoma can go and win these big battles because even if you want to say, oh, you has been pushing for him for the last three or four months. Cool. Everybody kind of thought, oh, he's going to go to Oklahoma. He'll like the trip. And then he's going to go to Texas and he'll commit to Longhorns. I mean, they have Brennan Marion, who, you know, has a lot of hand in, in the Jordan Addison um, emergence at Pitt last year. It's a guy that's really well liked, especially around the state of Texas. And everybody thought, well, this, this is just, this makes too much sense. This is what's going to happen. And, Everybody I talked to said, you know, on his Texas visit, it just seemed like he wasn't that engaged. Like he kind of already had it in his head what he was going to do, where he was going. And I think that's a tribute to Oklahoma putting together an outstanding visit weekend for him. And he he just fell in love with it. I mean, he, he really did like all of it. I don't think since that trip there was much doubt in his mind what he was going to do. Josh, let's uh, besides the commitments, I think it's important we kind of talk about uh, Jackson Arnold, his performance at Elite 11. We had a, had a chance to really talk about that. But obviously the big thing people want to know is what does this do? Uh, and I know Rivals wrote about it today, but what does this do about um, you know his star ranking? Uh, you know, Is he going to be a guy now because he was the Elite 11 MVP that is looked at as one of the elite quarterbacks in this class now and, and give Oklahoma kind of that, that bell cow that fans have gotten accustomed to having? I I think it's going to be a really difficult choice for any of the major rankings sites, you know, Rivals, 24-7, ESPN, uh, you know, now on three. 
like any of them to keep him away from five star status. Like you can't go to a venue like that, compete, you know, and, and do it like for life. I mean, there's no variance there. They're doing the same drills. They're throwing to the same receivers. They're in the same conditions. Like it is as, I mean, for lack of a better word, it's as scientific as you can make it. I mean, it's, it's apples to apples. And for Jackson Arnold to go there and impress and really even, you know, people that have questions about him, I, I think most felt it was him or Dante Moore. Like they were the best two quarterbacks consistently over the three days. And so if you want to have Dante Moore ahead, he's probably a little more toolsy and, and, you know, physically matches up with some of the stuff you're looking for. Like that's fine. I, I get that. But beyond that, there shouldn't be anybody that's not in that conversation. And I, I you know, I hate to incite OU fans who are already up in arms about this, but Arch Manning's included in that conversation. At some point, you've got to look at the Arch Manning situation and say, he's not competing anywhere. He plays no one in high school. He is a tremendously talented kid. Don't I, I don't want to go too far with it. But this auto fill at number one doesn't make any sense. Like, you've got to start asking questions. And when you have guys like Arnold, like Moore, uh, Malachi Nelson had a good week in California. Like, there are plenty of guys who deserve to be in that conversation. And I, and I think they are. I don't think it's as, as unanimous. I mean, that's not the right way to say it. I don't think it's as clear cut in the mind of a lot of evaluators as nationally the perception is. Um, because a lot of these guys haven't ever seen Arch Manning because he doesn't go anywhere. He doesn't do anything. So it's really hard to rank him when all you see is the same highlights everybody else sees. So um, I, I think Arnold will end up a five-star. I mean, a lo- long way around to what you asked me. But, yeah, I, I think that's where Arnold ends up um, because I, I think he just forced the issue with that performance, the Elite 11. And unless he were to go and just have an abysmal senior year, which is really hard to see for another really talented Denton Geyer uh team that you know went to the state finals last year and I think is a very likely choice to do it again this year I it's hard to see how that's he's not going to put together another big year and kind of cement that status as a you know a top 30 guy in the country I I, I think it's been confusing for people because it's like people refer to Jackson Arnold as a five-star no one has him as a five-star but then you have the consensus thing that has him as a five-star because so many people have him rated on the cusp of being a five-star like I've I saw some Twitter posts about that, and it's like watching people's minds get blown because they realize not a single service has him as a five star, and then they're just like, oh, "That's not right." Well, let's get a bunch of pitchforks and go carry out justice. <laughs> let's go get him. Yes, we have so much to talk about. I don't want to get because somebody goes, "Josh, you need to take like five minutes on a pod and talk about like because I got into it this week with a whole bunch of people." about rankings again, like people not understanding how math works and you know, like, yes, there is. And again, I don't want to get into that because that is a thing that I like literally probably need to put on the pod so I can just reference it over and over again. And we can sell more ad revenue by people going back and listening to the pod. So I think it's a win all the way around. This is a really busy pod that I don't think we need to cover it in, but I do want to quickly explain the Jack Arnold situation. So what happens is on three and 24 seven have composite rankings where they take the industry average of all the four major networks. And even though Jackson Arnold at all four sites, you know, people that like to get mad at one network or another rivals on three ESPN uh, or 24 seven, 
He's not a five-star on any of those sites. Let me, let me be really clear. Not a five-star. When you look at his ranking and you see him listed as a five-star, they're talking about the average ranking, which basically works out to he's so high in so many rankings that he works out ahead of several guys who are actually five-stars on rivals or 24-7 or on three because, you know, for example, Derek LeBlanc is a five-star on 24-7 or is, I think, the number 17 guy in the country or something. And at rivals, he's not even in the top 250. So the average works out to him being about 150. So he wouldn't be in the five-star conversation. Jackson Arnold is damn near 32 to 38 for everybody. He's just right outside that window, which puts him on average – as you know, one of the top 30 guys in the country, which they assign as a composite five-star. I know that's a little convoluted. It's a little confusing. But the thing I'll give 24-7 credit for, if their ranking is – if their individual, their own in-house ranking is higher, they'll talk about him being a 24-7 five-star. If it's better for them to say he's a 24-7 composite five-star, they'll say it that way. And so it gets a little tricky with how it's worded. But – the bottom line is, I think at the end of the day, there's, there might be one site that just says, no, nah, we don't see him that way. But I'll be very surprised if the majority of the industry does not have, have him as a five-star when he signs in December. Going back to what Arnold did, what did you see in terms of his improvement from that week compared to when you saw him back in the spring? I, I think it's really clear because I walked away from that and the only question I had was how he was going to work under center. And now, obviously, at, at Oklahoma, that's not going to be a huge part of what they do. But, I mean, it, it's there. It's not non-existent. Um, but with with Arnold, you're, he looked at Dallas as good as anybody there when it just came to throwing, delivering the ball, and you know putting it where it needed to be and on time. Like Those were all there. When he had to do his three-step, his five-step, you know, when he had to work into drops, he didn't look very comfortable. Like, it looked unnatural to him, and the timing would get a little little off sometimes. And again, this is a really fine point, because you're talking about a really talented kid that made a lot of good throws in those scenarios. But he just didn't look as good as he did when he was working the RPO stuff that they do so heavily at Denton Geyer. So it, it was just a matter of he didn't, he didn't look natural in a quarterback drop. And I, that's why I thought on that day in Dallas, Austin Novosad was actually the, the better of the two of them that particular day. What it tells me and what I took away from it, you know, being there and then seeing Jackson, knowing what he did in California, you know, what a couple months later, he, he went back and worked on it. Like you could tell he knew it. He knew he had to fix it. He addressed it and made the improvements he needed to make. So I, I think that says a lot for him understanding, you know, like, hey, maybe those people are right. Maybe, maybe those guys are right. That's something I need to go and take a minute and work on. And I don't mean me. Like, that, that's – I'm not saying Jackson Arnold's listening to me at all. I mean the, the coaches that were there. I know some of the guys that were working with him, and they talked about it. I mean, it, it was something that I, I don't think they – they hid away from him or were afraid to be honest with him about. And so I think he had that conversation and to his credit, he went and worked on it and he took the advice and because he did, and because he listened to people that wanted to help him and rather than taking it as a slight, he took it as a chance to get better. 
he took home the Elite 11 MVP, which I can guarantee wouldn't have happened based on his performance in Dallas. So, like I said, I I came away super impressed with Jackson, not only in his ability to take criticism, you know, I mean, I would just be coaching, but I mean, I know a lot of people would take that as criticism, but he took it in a positive way, worked with it, and put in the work that quickly. Like I said, I mean, it, it was it's impressive the jump he made in a short amount of time. Going back to uh, Commitment Central here, we've had four since last Monday, <laughs> and we know we're not even close to being done. And this has a, a shaping up to be a pretty big weekend for Bill uh, Bill Beatenbo, huh, Josh? Yeah, you know, we're sitting here. Uh, by the time people listen, I mean, I'm sure the majority of the people that listen to this will already know the outcome with Caden Green. Um, and I, I think Oklahoma continues to be in really good shape here. Uh, the, the, you know, Bob, you and I, we, we talked about it on the ghost pod, but now, you know, you, you kind of corrected or didn't correct it, but proved me right. I guess we were talking yesterday about this being Bill's most highly ranked recruit. And he is by literally one spot. One I mean, spot, uh, people. Yeah. Right. Bray Walker was number 35 in what the 2018 class, I believe. And um, now you've got uh, Caden Green at number 34. And Green is a guy that is very raw. I mean, th- there's still a lot of learning to do. Um, you know, you've seen him already improve himself a lot in the weight room, even since last season. I mean, he's taken some pictures kind of before and after stuff. And I, so I would expect a real jump. For him as a senior, I, I think there's a very real possibility he is also a five-star at the end of this um, this cycle. But he is a big athletic guy that Bill, you know, identified very early on. They made him a priority from day one. And, you know, I, I think Oklahoma always had a slight edge because he has a lot of family connection in the state of Oklahoma. But they've had to fight off some schools here. I know um, they liked LSU. They were interested in Miami. They were interested in Michigan. Uh, really, it came down to Missouri uh, is what I what I think ended up being the final two for him is Oklahoma and Missouri. And I think in the end, um, if Oklahoma is to win this, I think it's largely going to come down to just a that relationship and build and b Bill's uh, you know track record as a producer of NFL offensive linemen and the fact that he's done it with guys that frankly, don't have Caden's talent. I, I mean, he could be that first guy that really, you know, takes Bill's recruiting conversation to a different level instead of look at all these second and third rounders he's produced that are all, you know, these guys like Creed and Orlando that maybe were undervalued coming out of college and have been really good pros. Now you get that guy that, okay, he's a, he's a guy that's drafted to be somebody's left tackle for the next 10 years. We have Caden Green Friday, and then Saturday it doesn't slow slow down for it. It's got Logan, uh, Logan Holland, who man, I would say what four or five months ago we didn't know much about this kid. We didn't even know if he's going to be a tackle. It, it really is. He, he's one of these stories, and I, you know I, I've said it on the board several times. This is a kid that I, when Iowa buys into your potential as an offensive lineman, okay. I don't need to hear a ton else. Like you are a a guy that people who know what they're looking at like you. And and that says a lot to me. This is a guy, uh, you know, you look at his junior tape, he's catching passes for touchdowns. Like this isn't a guy that like, 
Oh, he's been, you know, he's been working at tackle. No, this is pretty much since the end of his junior year, he started working as a tackle and at 6'6", 270, they were kind of like, you know, Logan, you're going to get to college and be 290 pounds, man. Like you might as well go ahead and start thinking about that move. And as soon as that conversation started, his offer list just started to take off. And, uh, you know, you look at OU's track record with guys like these, you know, dating all the way back to, you know, Frank Romero, but I mean, Lane Johnson, um, uh, uh, Mesner, Chris Mesner from Frederick several years ago. I mean, like you go down the list, they had a really good ability. And those guys I'm all listing, those are all Jerry Schmidt guys. So if he'll go in and do the work and, you know, work under Schmidt, there's no reason to think, uh, you know, this guy couldn't be outstanding for Oklahoma if they can land him. And that obviously came down to really, from what I can gather, it's going to come down to Iowa and Oklahoma. I think Iowa really impressed him on his official visit a few weeks ago. And I, I just, my gut tells me that the prestige of Oklahoma, uh, again, beating both track record on the offensive line, and I think a chance to play in a little more complete offense. I mean, I think we all know the questions people have about Iowa and how they play. And obviously, Iowa's turned out a bunch of great offensive linemen on their own. Um, you know, a list that stands up to about anybody. But they they run an offense that, it, you know, can be a little antiquated at times. And I think that is something that probably appealed as well to Howland. Uh, and I think it's probably – one of the things that's going to help them win out. So, I, like I said, I, I think Oklahoma's going to win this race. And, you know, that gives Oklahoma four offensive line commitments. Uh, you know, uh, the the guy that goes forgotten is Josh Bates. I mean, a guy that I, I know there are people on that staff that feel is the best center in the country. So, you know, you can have him as a three-star. You can look at him however you want. This is an offensive line group that OU largely offered early and – pursued hard. I mean, this is a group of guys they wanted. It has to feel a little good for you, though, that everything that you've been talking about for like the last month and a half, two months, <laughs> and especially over the last week about patience is starting to pay off for this Oklahoma staff. And, I, I, you know, I we talked about this a little bit yesterday just as far as like the Texas stuff and the run that they've been on and seeing what Texas A&M is doing and knowing the pressures that the NIL has put into the world of college football and it's like a big, bad boogeyman right now for a lot of Oklahoma fans. It just seems like you were waiting on this storm to come, and now that it's finally starting to develop in front of you and Oklahoma fans can actually kind of see the writing on the wall as far as some positive momentum, it has to feel good, though. It's like, okay, it's, it's finally coming because, you know, I, I think anytime that you're, like, waiting to report something or waiting for, you know, something to happen, it's like, I hope it happens. Dude, do like, I still know what I'm talking like, about? Right. <laughs> like you don't start like second guessing yourselves by any means, but there is like a little bit of uh, you know, if this doesn't happen and if this doesn't happen, this could really end up being bad for Oklahoma. But it does feel like this thing is starting to kind of formulate, come together, and especially here over the next, you know, month and a half, to the point where you start getting into football season and everything kind of gets back down to normal. You definitely don't second guess yourself, but I know what you mean. Like there is a man, if, if this guy here turns or this goes wrong or, you know, just the stuff that happens in recruiting happens, man, this, this is going to be ugly for me. Like I know how this is going to go, but at the same time, like 
you've got, you know, and people are get, like, you told us for months. Well, man, for months I was right. Like, and then stuff changes. Some, like, you, you just can't do anything about that. And uh, it, it, it really, like, I somebody asked me, and I honestly hadn't sat down and done the numbers, but somebody asked me one of the final questions in board chat this week was, you know, something along the lines of, uh, how many commitments could Oklahoma have in July? And if you consider they've already got, what was it, three? Uh, is it three? Well, I'm, 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 it's, it's terrible because it was June June 30th. Yeah. For, yeah that's right. that's, it, it keeps throwing me off. <laughs> yeah, you're exactly right, Bob. So, you know, if you include um, Samuel Omasigo, you don't have to. I mean, that's fine. Two in the last couple of days. And, you know, there is a there is a world in which Oklahoma gets ten or more commitments in the month of June. Uh, excuse me, in the month of July. That is crazy. Like, and I I don't necessarily know that that's what's going to happen. I think it'll probably be more like seven or eight. But when you start looking at some of the names that I think that could be, I mean, you talk about guys like PJ Adabawara. You talk about. Uh, Derek LeBlanc, uh, you know, guys we've already talked about, Caden Green, Logan Howland, um, Dalen Smothers. I mean, th- there are a lot of really fundamental foundational pieces to this class that you can know the verdict on. And then you throw in August, like I said, with Anthony Evans going to have a decision. And there's some other guys that I think could get into that mix. Um, there are There's a lot of chance for not only some guys um, – that maybe people don't know yet. Uh, ben Minnick is a good example, recent offer from Ohio that I like a lot on tape, and we can get into that if we want to. But the name guys, I mean, you're going to see some big names that Oklahoma's going to know, and then we'll see. I mean, like, wh- th- that is where this is the month where Oklahoma either can start that trajectory to being a top seven, eight class in the country or is maybe more in that 9 to 12 range. I think they're going to go with the former, but we'll find out. I mean, they, they need to land some guys, and then I think some of it, what I'm counting on, is some of these guys that I'm a big believer in their tape, I think you start to see them make some moves as people start paying more attention to their tape and more attention to what happens in their senior year. That was going to kind of be my next question, was just like, how good could this get before – everything slows down and you know most of these guys are going to start thinking about their senior seasons and everything that's coming up into uh you know the beginning of their actual high school football season so i i guess that's kind of like where i would leave that off is how good can this thing get and you know i will anybody be surprised will there be any big surprises out there that not necessarily saying this is going to catch anybody off guard but you go Ooh, I didn't. I didn't know that was gonna pop just yet. Yeah, like, can they win the fifty-fifty battles of Peyton Kirkland, Josiah Wagner? Like, we feel pretty confident about a lot of these guys that we've been talking about. But even though we're still a couple weeks out, it still feels like there's some question marks about where those two guys might actually end up going. Sure, you know, with with, uh, with Peyton Kirkland, um, there's gonna be some stuff in the scoop on Friday. We're we're, we're gonna have. I'm gonna have to leave a little bit of it in there, but. There are definitely some turns happening there. Um, I, I don't I, – it's not where my bet would be right now. I guess I'd put it that way. And, again, it's all going to get laid out in the scoop. So, you know, if you're not reading the, the site, you, you need to supplement that with the pod so you can just have all the information. But I, I think with Peyton Kirkland, you're just seeing it 
move a little differently than maybe you. Again, kind of like what I was talking about a little while ago. I thought OU was right there, and I and they were. I mean, not just like I thought they were. They were, I, you know, from Kirkland himself and from plenty of those around him. Um, I just think maybe maybe the priorities have changed a little bit. Um, but and like you know, like I said earlier, if they can close out with Green and Howland, I think they're pretty happy with that. And then they would probably either look for a guy that really emerges as a senior. You know, maybe maybe a guy you know not obviously not Logan Allen, but someone like that, that makes a position change or maybe filled out a little bit over the summer and moves from tight end to tackle. And maybe he catches your attention, you know, somebody like that, that is a late riser, I, I think could be the guy um, th- that is, that is kind of interesting. But um, the other guy you, you mentioned, um, Wagner, Judge Kyle Wagner. Yeah. I, I think Oklahoma's in really good shape there. I, I, I know, he came out with a top four that was Oklahoma, Texas, Cal, and, uh, and Oregon. And talking to some people at Oregon, I, I don't know how much they're really in that chase right now. They've landed several DB commitments here over the last you know month or so. So I, I think that probably limits their ability to even just take him. And um, so I, I think that obviously helps OU being a Pacific Northwest kid, not having to deal with kind of the one major program in his area of the world. Um, I know Texas is on the list. I talked to some Texas sources. I don't think he's a priority for them at the moment. Um, you know, just they've got their attention laid elsewhere. Um, I, it, it could come down to Oklahoma and Cal, a sentence I don't say very often. Um, and obviously Cal's got some proximity there. But we talked about the Pac-12 thing earlier. You've got to think that helps OU. I mean, like, even, even if, if, if you want to say, like, oh, you know, he likes Cal, the, obviously the academics and all the stuff that's there. Pretty, pretty tough to find much that you prefer Cal to Oklahoma to as far as um, football and, and the, the background. I mean, you talk about Jay Belay and his track record and his background and some of those things, his NFL uh, connections and those kind of things. I, it's just tough for me to imagine a world where a kid like that would pick Cal. Maybe I'm wrong. We'll see. But I, I like where that's trending. The other guy that's really interesting to me is, uh, I, I guess, probably two. Um, Amari Washington, the big four-star defensive tackle, Rivals 250 kid that put Oklahoma in his final three, uh, along with LSU. And who was the third one? Was it Florida or somebody like that? Uh, I can't – I'm, I'm going to blank on who the third was. I apologize to, to Amari. Um I, Oklahoma seems in this race. Everybody kind of thought he was headed to Ohio State. Um, so for them not to make his final three, that was a big deal. And, I I mean, it's it's never going to be easy to win a defensive line battle with LSU, and I know they're pushing really hard for him. But Oklahoma's in that race. I mean, maybe, maybe things get interesting. Well, we'll see where that goes. And the last guy is Macari Vickers, um, another DB. Kind of the same conversation as Josiah Wagner as far as – um, Oklahoma really looking to fill that corner room with some big, long, athletic guys. And Vickers is I, – I, everybody I talk to tells me this is just a a great match for OU from personality-wise. He fits, you know, what they want their locker room to be. He's a great talent. Uh, really, really has responded to the coaching staff. And sounds like it's coming down to OU and Alabama. And I, and I know. I mean, and I, I'm with OU fans and where I would bet my money on that situation because he's been to Bama plenty of times. 
But it's one of those things where this keeps dragging on. Like, if he was dead set to Bama, why doesn't he just make that call, especially with Bama reeling in some big-time commitments here as of late? Like, you'd think he'd just get swept up in it, but that hasn't happened. So, again, I would bet on Bama in that chase, but the longer this goes on, the more I kind of wonder if maybe he's going to shock everybody here. We'll we'll see. But, like I said, he's another one of those guys that – that could, I mean, as a as a rivals one hundred kid from Florida, he could shift the direction of this class with a surprise decision like that. How different is the narrative going to be on like the Oklahoma recruiting trail at the end of, well, let's say by kickoff of the first game on September third? Well, do you think that that's going to change out there, or is that just going to be something that Oklahoma is going to have to? And I'm not even saying that they're battling it because I don't think the Brent Venables and everybody within the program really gives a shit. But I mean. Is that something that they're going to have to quote unquote battle throughout the the rest of the uh, I guess recruiting semester leading up to the early signing day? I think to a degree, but you know we've talked about this a little bit before, and I don't think enough people recognize this. One of the biggest things Oklahoma's battling right now is the oh yeah, Lincoln Riley's gone thing. Like, and I and I know some OU fans are aware of that, but like. That comes up a lot. And, you know, I, I think that is some of these kids, their hesitation is, you know, if they have any remaining, is, well, is OU still going to be really good? And, you know, because, and I know like we scoff at that because, A, we, you know, I, I think we all kind of buy into what's happening. But at the same time, we've all been around. We recognize that OU's been good for a very long time. I mean, you save the nineties. OU's played good football for like 70 years. Like that, that's just not a, that's not something many schools can say. So, you know, there's infrastructure there, you know, it's built in to be good. These kids are 17 years old. They don't have that perspective. They don't think about it like that. And so I I think that is, um, that's something that once they get on the field and it goes like, I think people in Norm, I, I, I don't know about you guys, and, you know, I'd love to hear your take on I feel like there is a lot of very quiet confidence right now. Like, there is, like, this team, like, people around that program think this team's going to surprise some people. Like, going to be even better, better than, than maybe some optimists think, think it's going to be. Better than sixth? Better than sixth in the conference? I had him ninth in my preseason poll. Did Eddie, have you seen what? What is the um, what's the betting line on six? I mean, can we get good little action on that? I mean, I, is that is that a actionable bet? I, I think it would be a better bet than uh, taking Oklahoma against uh, what was it Clemson in the uh, Orange Bowl a couple years ago or Alabama. <laughs> that would have been a little bit better bet. No, it's uh-huh. it, it's it's going to be interesting. And you know, I like just talking about you know how there's some quiet confidence around the program right now. It feels like. Things just as far as, and believe me, like I kind of roll my eyes at it, but just from a motivational standpoint, I don't think the last two weeks have could have gone better for Brent Venables and everybody up there just as far as like being able to sit there and preach like nobody believes in you, nobody thinks that you guys are worth a damn, uh, you know, the the quiet confidence that comes with, uh, you know, kind of that self-doubt that I'm sure coaches love to use. I mean... This is a this is a man that isn't like off the you know Bob Stoops coaching tree like he is a root of the Bob Stoops coaching tree and we know how much Bob loved to use that battle cry. I guarantee you that's that's 
you know, the, in the jukebox of Brent Venables, that's, that's side one song one. Like nobody thinks you're any good because guys, we know how much Brent tweets and it's not very active, but it, what was it? It was in the middle of the day the other day when they tweeted out that team 128, sure. you know, mm-hmm. in response to the big 12, you know, the all big 12 team, like, they they're going to twist that for all it's worth. I mean, like that is going to get used and, and other stuff too. I mean, like that is, I, I can absolutely see this being a coaching staff that's putting negative, you know, storylines in people's locker rooms and uh, in people's lockers and stuff like they They are, nobody believes in you. Everybody thinks it was Lincoln. Like y- you guys can't get anything done. Like, I mean, that, that, that is, and I mean, with Brent being as positive as he is, like I'm sure it's going to be framed a little like we know they're wrong, you know that kind of deal. Not just you guys are garbage; they're telling you you're garbage. Like it's not going to be that way. But I, they'll use that, man. There's no question, and you know it, it just feels like the program is starting to peak at the right time. Like okay, going in about you know about a month away from fall camp. Okay, that's getting going. Recruiting starting to move in the right direction. Coaches are getting to recharge their batteries a little bit while they're off on vacation with me. Like everything's coming together pretty nicely right now for the program. And I mean, obviously you've got to prove it on the field, but what I was saying earlier is I think that confidence leads them to believe that once we can show these guys on the field that it's good, man, we're, we're, we're going to be fine. And once we get even better talent at some positions and we, and we, you know, really restock the roster, then this thing can go as far as we want it to. I can you a, imagine Brent Venables after a big win, like after a game with recruits? How insane that would be. I'm sure that there's a lot of selling that is going on. He's already those, off those. the charts. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm sure that... I mean, waiting an hour for the post game. We waited an oh, hour man. after the spring game. Can you imagine <laughs> what it's going to be after a big game? I would imagine they'll probably just invite the media into the locker room to do the press conference. That's if they ever win a big game, though. So I mean, that Ooh, that might be a little good class half full. You're, you're a lot of presumption there. Good Eddie, point. You, know, you think good, this program can win again? Good point, Stuart Mandel. Right. I mean, you, the way that some people have been thinking or talking, you would think that they're never going to even be competitive in the fourth quarter, let alone be able to win a game in the fourth quarter. It is kind of you interesting. For granted. It is kind of interesting to see like the two like just different ideologies that Lincoln Riley had as far as recruiting and building uh, momentum throughout the summer and building the momentum throughout a class as opposed to what Brent has done in you know in kind of the comparison between that and like actual gameplay as far as Oklahoma and how good they were in building leads in the first half and then falling off in the second half. I I don't know like how that conversation should go, but at the very least. It's kind of fun to point out. It is. It absolutely is because, I mean, what, Lincoln stressed all those spring game official visits, and Brent, of course, said no spring game official visits. Come on your own dime. Show that you're really interested in us. Then we'll show we're interested in you, and that is paid off. That's exactly paid off with all those kids who showed up in April, showed up again in June, and now you're starting to see them to – commit it's like he there's logic to his madness you know there's a method to it and it's definitely starting to pay off the way that they all thought it would in the last couple months i and you know i kind of stumbled onto this while we were you know talking about some stuff yesterday but all this you know like oh lincoln riley would have us here or there you know that that kind of stuff guys you look at it 
USC is not setting the world on fire right now in recruiting. Like they are, they're number 12. And I mean, that's great and all, but it's almost entirely built on three commitments that had nothing to do with his time at USC. Two of them are Malachi Nelson and Makai Lemon, who were coming to Oklahoma before he flipped. And then they basically chose to not fly eight hours and, or, you know, three hours and instead just drive 30 minutes over to Troy. But, and the other is Zachariah Branch. But since, since December, that initial kind of windfall of recruits and Zachariah Branch committed largely because his brother committed and, and signed in front of him. They, I mean, they have a couple of rivals 250 guys committed and nothing else. I mean, like, there's nothing notable. They, you know, some, some very mediocre offensive line commitments that OU fans would be gnashing their teeth over if those were the only guys OU had in their O line class. He lost Francis Malagoa, uh, the big offensive lineman that chose Miami, kid with a lot of Southern California ties. Um, I, it, it's just one of those things where I'm like, I don't, uh, people kind of creating this storyline. And it's, I, I don't know about you guys. I thought he'd be off to a faster start than he has been so far at USC. Yeah. I mean, he, but he's probably got the same, you know, I mean, it's not like, it's not like he went into a program that had it all together. You guys see the tweet this week about uh, um, this is what it looked like when USC came out against Alabama and whatever year that was when they were all on four legs and barking and stuff. And, and this shows the final <laughs> scores like 52 to six or something like that. It'll be down. Like USC's taken a beating uh, in, uh, around LA recently. So I'm sure there's some people that are just like, let's wait and see. And, and you have Lanning, yeah. Oregon. No doubt. Which I'm sure Lanning is saying, you know, he took over a program at Oklahoma that was really, really good. He's not taking over the same thing at USC. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, he, he's got – that's the thing. And, you know, like I, I get on to, you know, OU fans sometimes that, that get too far down on him. You know, and oh, he – you know, he like he was never any good. I and mean, stop that. Just stop. That, that's great. That's just crazy – as the national guys like Stuart Mandel that act like he's ever built a program before. He's never had to do it. Like he, and, and building it in his image, like I, we'll see, like I, maybe it goes great. I, I just think there are more questions than a lot of national people want to admit. I just, I, I want to put together a fake dollar figure and text it to Joe C about how much of his money he spent to, uh, to build USC's recruiting class. You know, all those <sighs> times he flew in those players that are now committed mm-hmm. to USC or once OU commitments. Uh, Bob, you you put this out there yesterday, Over like the it. lone, the lone former uh, Lincoln Riley commitment has found in his final home. Trail Webb went. Are you supposed to go Penn? Uh, Penn State chooses Florida. That's it. Six of it was six of the seven. We know Bates State, of course, for OU's 2023 class. Those other six have finally all found their home, and you can just totally move on. There's almost, like, nothing left. His fingerprints are yes. off this program, fine. Exactly. Recruiting. It, you know, and th- I, that's the thing I, I'll just never get over. Like, you look at that list. I mean, Traylon Webb to Florida, Luke Haas to Arkansas, Malachi and Makai to USC. What the hell was the like? You can't recruit elite talent to Oklahoma. What, what are you talking about? Like that shit never made sense to me. Like I, I, I just don't understand it. And guys, I mean, you look at it like, okay, you, you want to at this point, 
you can damn near call Malachi Nelson and Jackson Arnold a, a coin flip. So what is the big recruiting advantage for Oklahoma under Lincoln Riley as compared to what we think is going to happen under Brent for the next six weeks or so? Like, I, When we know Brent is a very dynamic personality. Yep. I mean... Even more like so than that. Lincoln is, to be honest yes. with you. Oh, 100% so. Because um, OU's got a chance to get some guys. They they weren't getting Derek LeBlanc with right. the previous staff. They weren't getting P.J. out of Aware under the previous staff. And I, I Guys... There's not a lot of guys in the last few years that OU has signed on defense that I've really man-crushed hard on. I think Danny would probably be one of the few exceptions. P.J. Adelaware has a chance to be as good a defensive end as played at OU in a long time, a re- like 20 years or more. Like he, If OU can finish that job and get him, that is a special talent. Like If he can just put it all together and Miguel Chavis is – as you know, as good a coach as I think we expect him to be or can be or however you want to say that for a guy that just doesn't have that kind of track record, I that is, you know, that that's a dude. I mean, there, there's just no other way to say it. That would be a massive win. You add him to LeBlanc, get a few other pieces, like, you know, maybe a Caden McDonald. I almost don't care what happens outside. You know, if you don't get David Hicks, you don't get Jordan Renaud, those are hurt. I mean, that hurts. There's no other way around it. But you start with those three in your first defensive line class. Those are NFL talents. I mean, that is that's big time to start your show and getting them all from really not anywhere near your natural recruiting bases. I want to hit on one one more thing. I know this is something that comes up every single year, but what's right? <laughs> in in the last couple of weeks, what well, we've seen Owasso's Cole Adams go to Alabama by Job mm-hmm. from Community Christian just picked Mich- uh, pick Michigan State. NIL, Bob. <laughs> but what, what I'll I'll go toward the other way. I'll go Jacoby Johnson at Mustang has felt like OU's you know, he's been the favorite, the leader for months and months. Is he another guy that could make this call in July and do you still feel as confident as we have in you know the last three four months? The the interesting thing is that I have felt. I mean, I think I put a Jacoby Johnson prediction in in the spring of twenty, in April of twenty twenty. So that I mean, like I, I'm in over two years now and have never once thought of changing that that prediction. The other side that I will say is so often in situations like this, you'll start hearing from other guys in the network, other reporters, or, you know, even just, you know, newspaper guys I know or, or whatever. Hey, man, what, what are you hearing on this guy? You know, like, you still think OU's in pretty good shape there? You know, I know he took a visit to the school I cover, yada, yada, you know, kind of that whole thing. And you start to think, okay, they're, they're hearing that, you know, from their sources and on their coaching staff, that, hey, maybe something's happening there. Maybe something's cooking. I've never, ever feel that a Jacoby Johnson question. Not one time. Not from TCU people where his father played basketball. Not from Oklahoma State people where I know he's got, uh, you know, he's had some interest. Uh, nothing. There, there's never been any other thought. And I just, I'm like, that's not coincidence. That That's not an accident. Um, I remain very confident. I, I wondered a little bit when, 
the new staff came in, how they would feel about him if he, you know, because they're they're wired a little differently as far as like football player, football player, football player. But Jacoby had such a if, if they would have come in after his sophomore year, I wonder how that plays. They came in after a junior year where he just took over for Mustang at times. It was absolutely just a monster uh, uh, for Coach Blankenship and those guys. So I, I think that got put to bed. And from then on, it just it was tough to see any other answer. I He's absolutely one of those guys. I don't hear a lot of buzz like, oh, it's about to come down any minute now. But if you told me like in late July, early August, he goes ahead and pulls the trigger, I wouldn't be surprised at all. I think it's time for a hoops report with Bob Prisbillo and Josh's. Uh, <laughs> Josh, like, I've talked out. I'm out of here. <laughs> There's no baseball game for you to escape to today. You have to listen. I am. I'm going to make a promise to one of the people on Twitter who has been like, Josh, you've made the I'm asleep joke a hundred times during basketball. I promise not to make that tired joke. I, I will not do that to to our faithful listeners. Well, let's just start out with Ryan Humphrey. I mean, the yes, new hire, um, a guy that a lot of old, you know, longtime Sooner fans remember is, is being. And some are still mad. Yeah, I can see it. I mean, really? <laughs> he was a big dude. I mean, he was I a know, big deal. I know man. he was. I mean, and he never really lived out his potential at Oklahoma. And then he went to Notre Dame and he was even better. And that pissed people off. So I can see why some people just haven't let it die. But yeah, massive get there because I mean the last month has just been one name after after another. Like, how is Porter Moser going to fill that final spot, final assistant coach? And you start hearing these names, like you know he wants either OK Preps or Texas High School. He wants some sort of link there. And you went through a bunch of names that either the candidate didn't like it or OU after going through the process didn't think it was going to work out. And you start, you know, we're getting July. How the heck are you going to find a co- like you already have practices going on and you don't have a staff? What the heck is going on? And so to get Ryan Humphrey to get him from Mike Bray, who I mean, basically gave him his start and who had been the assistant coach with Notre Dame last six seasons, it's just a massive win for Porter Moser. I hope hopefully we get a chance to talk with Porter and or Ryan here in the next couple of weeks, get an idea of where their connection comes from, your how this all came about because it caught me off guard but I'm, I'm very much excited about not only what he does in terms of recruiting within the state but the development that he's shown with guys in the post and what his experience can bring into that type of role and important just just because you've got this europe trip coming up uh practices like you said yesterday on the ghost spot already started so i mean important to get your final your staff finalized with that yeah you know you're allowed 10 organized practices because they're going on this trip to Europe in the first week of August. So you just went through a few of them without a your full staff being there. They've had Matt Brady now in for the last month. Obviously, Manuel Dildy was the one that stayed. And they've already gone through three of the 10, which I didn't know until earlier this week, that they're just kind of spreading them out instead of clustering them all into the back half of this month to, to, to get ready. So there's still set, there's seven left. I'm not sure if Humphrey's in town yet or if he's, that's still in the process. Just, I know he had the what the tweet with uh, Thomas yesterday, so I'm not sure exactly Thomas, yeah. yeah, if he's actually in Norman yet and in his 
full role, but you know, you've got to get that done. And then just excited to kind of see how he starts meshing with the new staff and how he starts meshing with the new players. Cause there are a bunch of them. And there's no update as far as waiver transfers, right? For any of the guys like Sherfield or uh, Sill, none of the guys that have uh, up certainly obviously are going to have to apply to get them. Yes. You know, those are the, those are the two. Those are the only two they'll have to deal with because they're two time transfers instead of the one time deal that's free and very confident it's going to work out with Joe Bamasil and Grant Sherfield. There really, there's no concern at, at this point as they've started to do more legwork and really get the foundation of what the appeal is going to, going to look like, what the waiver is going to sound. And so at, at this point, you got to feel very good that both will be there. And if that's your starting backcourt, a lot of experience, a lot of production, and, you know, I know the, the portal was, you know, just crazy. It was three months, more than three months from the St. Bonaventure game to when everything was finalized. But it might work out in the end. There's so many twists and turns and roller coaster ride with guys like Rondell Walker, Kerwin Walton. But in the end, it looks like they'll have 12 of the 13 scholarship spots are going to be filled. And they've got their assistant coaches all locked down. I remember by the time that Porter got to the Duncan caravan, I thought he might just quit because <laughs> of NIL and the portal. It's it's really hard because you know he prides himself on the much like Venables. It's something we've talked about before. Like when you get into the homes, when you get to know the family, that's when you've been able to close the deal year in and year out. And that might work with some kids still, but there's going to be that NIL factor. And it just feels like, not that OU's hamstrung necessarily, but you know it's not something that you want to emphasize first and foremost. And so it's been a challenge for Porter to try to navigate these, these waters and, and you know everything that comes with the portal and their... There's guys that they thought they had, and then it didn't work out, and then you got to go back to the drawing board. But when you do that, now you've missed out on all those guys you could have been looking at because you thought you were done. And so that that made the month of June just a big-time mess. But in the end, you know, they're very happy with how it's all turned turned out. I think the roster is better than last year, and I think a lot of that is because of the freshman class. And that's something – Every member of that staff was just going to just, wow, I can't believe how good this quartet's going to be. Otego away, Miles Uzon, Benny Schroeder, Luke Northweather, just different things they each brings to the table. And they're, I don't see a red shirt for any of those guys. I don't see a red shirt happening now because of the portal. There's really right, no reason yeah. to even go that route. But all of those four are going to get their chances, and then we'll see how, how much they play based on what they do. They were glowing about Northweather. When yes. He, like when he was at Oklahoma City it was. Name, when, it, it, when we talked to Porter about that. Yes. Like, they feel like they got a legitimate diamond in the rough when you bring in a 6'11 guy that can shoot the ball. Like they got can. the pick and pop five to back up Tanner Groves, which was a struggle, and been able to you know talk with them about how hard it was to try to convince some of these guys, you know, yeah, maybe you're looking to play 10, 15 minutes, but if you don't like that, then be better than Tanner. Then push him to where, you, you know, you deserve more minutes. And it seemed like a lot of people just kept falling off. They couldn't wrap their heads around trying to really go against Groves and trying to steal his minutes. Where Luke Northweather, you know, he's not – obviously he's not going to steal Groves' minutes away, but the more time he gets, 
I think the better off he's going to end up becoming. And now that I've seen these guys in person, not in workouts, but there's been a lot of Mojer camps. Either it was high school camp, youth, uh, youth camps. I've seen Yaya Keita. I've seen Northweather. seen Benny Schroeder. All of them look what they're supposed to be. They're not like two, three inches smaller or 20 pounds lighter. So there's a, a lot to be excited about, about the guys that are that have come in during the last month. And I will see how they start gelling during these practices before they head to to Europe. I feel like Josh is like sitting at home, like queuing up like Pornhub, just threatening to play sex sounds to just no, cut, I, cut the, I the, the basketball top short. I have a basketball question I'm ready to ask. I'm ready. The floor is yours. I, I want to know, is Luke Northweather the best long skinny white guy to hit Oklahoma in a while or what, what what's it look like I mean what's yeah, the right we've seen so many of them we don't want Matt Freeman to, to, to uh, 2 2.0 no 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 I, I we need to work Chet Holmgren into our uh summary so that we Same can get more uh more people listening so talk compare and contrast Luke Northweather and Chet Holmgren let's go what I will say is, you know, Luke Northwater started off as a traditional back-to-the-basket type of player. He was as a freshman as, and as a sophomore. And when his brother graduated from high school, that forced him to become more. And he accepted that, re- that responsibility. Of like, okay, I've got to expand my game. If I want to play Power 5, I can't just be what I've been just because I'm so much bigger and stronger than the teams I'm going up against high school because he wasn't in the shoe circuit. He didn't do the AAU stuff, the EYBL. So his, you know, his offers come off purely high school film and he became an outside shooter perimeter guy because that's what you have to do. I mean, how many David McCormick's are there really, or, you know, I love him. Kofi Coburn's. How many of them are, do those really exist that can be successful going forward and so he transitioned his game evolved it and now we'll see if it can translate when he's on the court and actually is banging in the post with guys that are just as big as him will he still have the lift in his legs to be that 40 percent shooter from three that he was during high school the last couple of years was it kofi coburn on the floor when uh chet holmgren shocked the world recently huh? was, were they playing his team kofi coburn's yes was it yeah, yeah he, he, he played. He's playing for the Jazz. Yeah, he's, he was is playing he? for the Jazz. He, okay. he is with the Jazz. Yes. Boom! That's basketball knowledge right there. <laughs> All right. Well, I think we're out of knowledge. Uh, I'm going to say this was better than the Ghost Pod. Way better than the Ghost Pod. Much longer. Much more detailed. It was nice having you guys in the studio. We'll get into Major League Baseball stuff uh, next week with. Kate Horton. Yeah. Once we get closer yeah. to the draft, I, there's really draft. not that much to add. I, I know you've been saying that Jackson his... Nicholas showed up to the Cape today, so he's going to start playing tonight. Oh, nice. I believe he'll be with Falmouth, uh, which would be really cool to go to someday. Just like as a fan, like I was, I was watching some of the uh, highlights and stuff. Uh, it looks awesome just to go up there and you drive everywhere on the Cape and go to all the games and stuff. That would be I, cool. I would go up there with you, Kate Horton. Uh, it, it's just going to be a matter of where he gets drafted. Like I know. That, it's going to start heating up over the next week because the draft is a week from is Sunday. Is there like a, a legit number one? Like everybody knows he's going number one? It's, I think it's between the three high school kids right now. Who does Callis have right now, Josh? Is it the uh, – It's because Jackson Nick uh, Holiday isn't up there. He's top three. No. Drew uh, 
Drew Jones is up there. Andrew Jones's kid. Okay. And then it's yeah. the shortstop yeah, from uh, Florida, I believe. Yeah. Uh, he, yeah, I can never remember the kids. Yeah. yeah but I, I think it's not like the years where there was like a Rutschman or like that where there's clear. I think most expect it to be Drew Jones, but I don't think it's cemented or anything. Yeah. There, there could definitely be a curveball. So, yeah, more of that to come up. Uh, Going to be an exciting week next week uh, at Soonerscoopstore.com. I know I will tell you this. I'm going to pick them up today. We do have, we will have the black trucker hats back in stock uh, this weekend. So we've been sold out of those for a couple of weeks. Those are coming back, uh, and we're going to stock up on some other things. But next week, uh, go follow the account uh, at Shop Sooner Scoop on Twitter because that way you get, uh, we'll get you, you'll get a little preview of things that we have coming to the store. Uh, if you go look at that account right now, you can see our unofficial 40 T-shirts that are coming out next week. Very excited about those. Tamar Johnson and Elijah Green are the two guys I was thinking of. Okay. Uh, very excited about those. And uh, those will be up on the SoonerScoopStore.com next week. So, And I'm excited about those. Those things are sharp. I love the I helmet. I love the helmet. Love the helmet. And look, I get, like, some people don't get the whole retro vintage thing, but it's just a thing. Just know. Like, That's all right. You get your stuff from Walmart, yeah. probably. <laughs> I don't. I, I, I need to see what the Walmart OU merchandise looks like these days because I have no. I, you know Probably. how long it's been since I've been in a Walmart, and I'm not being elitist. I just do everything I am. on Amazon. No, I mean, I, it's okay. You probably get your OU stuff from Walmart. That's fine. If I go into a store, I'm going into a Target. But that, I, yeah, I, I'm I am too. definitely going to Target before I hit a Walmart. Probably missing out on. No, something. let's be honest. You're sending Linda to go get your stuff yeah, from Target. There you go. You know, and then she brings it back and just make sure you get the receipt. Guys, I'm starting to get some real hurt feelings from the current um, cleaner of the home. Uh, her name is Yusenia. She's a very nice lady, <laughs> but she she you know it's it's one of those things where you know she doesn't want to be the other woman in my life anymore. You know, that she's never going to be Linda. So wow, do you just we, go, if she does something wrong, do you just go around yelling at her like, Linda didn't do it that way? Exactly. That's exactly what I do. It, it's a mental warfare in my house at all times. I, I pit did you the name your against each other. Did you, I mean, it, it, it's... Did you name your RoboVac Linda? Uh, no, what did we name it? Um, the girls named it, I think, Pierre a long time ago and so we all it, it's that that is something you know uh bob can relate once you have children everything in your house slowly develops a name yep. like it just everything has like it has to have a name it because it has it's like because at some point or another they have pretended it's one of their friends by the way that is bob presbillo a lot of you forgot the the sound of his voice over the last month this is true so <laughs> welcome back <laughs> All Bob, right. Did you like? Did you listen to the other pods? Like, or was it just was it too hard? Like, you just didn't want to even have to deal with it. I listened to parts of it. I don't know if I I finished them because I I'm not alone all that often. This is a family that, program, Bob. I don't know geez, why you no wouldn't kidding. let Pearl listen. Man. <laughs> all right. Well, that's gonna do it for us. Uh, it was great to be back. Uh, we think we have been recording, Eddie. I promise. Fingers crossed. I think it's think it's going to work this time. Yeah, I think it's going to work. Fingers crossed. If it doesn't, you'll never I hear don't, from me again. Well, that that's the scary thing. You I, will, 
Uh, Eddie, please make sure you go in the, there's a hard drive sitting on my desk in my living room. Please throw that in an ocean somewhere. Um, that means that's the first thing that will be sold online. <laughs> that'll, that'll be going up in soonerscoopstore.com. No problem. We'll have that ready. All those SD cards that you find like underneath my bed, mm-hmm. please get rid of those. Yeah, we could do that. Um, we'll send those to your parents. It's no, like I have something to remember. I will commit an act of violence upon myself if the pod does not <laughs> work this time. So that's going to do it. Um, go ahead. Ask your question. Do you need like? Do you need a couple minutes here, like just therapy, just to talk it out? Like you, you, you've had a twenty-four hours here, man. The Cox guy is coming in like forty minutes, so I'm going to make Bob and Eddie leave, and then I will take the SD card. Slowly put it into my computer, transfer it to Adobe Audition, and if I don't see waveforms, I may be I'll, I'll be like I'll be like Ron Swanson when he just takes the computer and throws it in the dumpster. We'll take everything in this pod room and just throw it in the dumpster. <laughs> um, okay, well at least the Cox guy is coming by, so if there is suddenly you know, like a body on the ground, he'll see it. Like, I don't have to ask Bob to double back and make sure you're okay. Uh, walking by a body on the ground on Campus Corner these days isn't that tough. There's a lot of homeless around here. The new mayor's going to have to get that figured out. It's really bad. It's very bad. Um, all right, that's going to do it for us. I have some ideas on that. Maybe We'll, we'll get next be pod. back next week for another edition of the Unofficial 40 Podcast from Soonerscoop.com.